what is the secret Dwayne is hiding in the basket? What's in the basket? Easter eggs? What's in the basket? Clothes. What's in the basket? What's in the basket? My brother. What's in the basket? Open it, if you dare. Basket case. Opening at our theater for you. An analysis film presentation. Here, Jason. Take some. There is something alive in there. They're good for us, Jason. <laughs> they kill the bad things inside us. Must be a side effect of eating too much dessert. Everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. I'm your host, Michael, and again, my guest is Kersey. How's it going, Kersey? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? I am excellent, because this time, I actually kind of know both movies. I had uh, some familiarity with them. I haven't seen them in a while, but um, what made you choose these? Were these new to you? Uh, these are actually not new to me. I've, uh, I saw a basket case uh, probably in high school, and the stuff I saw, mm, I don't know, probably about four or five years ago, and for some reason it left... Uh, a distinct mark in my memory so i want to talk about it let's start off with basket case this is one i haven't seen in a decade and i actually enjoyed it more this time than the first time uh do you feel like this is of a very certain era that could not be made today uh yeah definitely i mean besides the fact that it was new york when it was still kind of sleazy and dangerous before it was all touristy uh these kind of movies just couldn't be made because no one wants to make them. They want to make generic homages to a basket case. Basket case is like nothing else. The closest thing I think of is maybe It's Alive by Larry Cohen, who uh, oddly enough directed the other movie, The Stuff. Uh, this is an idea that clearly just comes from some guy who's not part of the industry, just on his own, uh, with his own money, just this tiny budget, crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think that's a perfect description. Uh, it really is of its era. Uh, type movie, and I, I like what you said about uh, the the look of New York before it became very touristy. Yeah, that is kind of a, a, a type of movie that really isn't made anymore. 
back in that time, uh, it seemed like 50% of the movies were set in New York. You know, it, it, the city was a character. Uh, it yeah, uh, exactly. set a tone and a mood for the movies. Nowadays, it feels like every movie is shot either in some fantasy land or, oh, that's Vancouver, pretending to be Los Angeles. Uh, but Grindhouse movies, exploitation films, are always, always seem to be set in something like this. New York, Detroit, Philly, and I miss that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so let's let's get into it. Uh, would you like to explain the plot to people who may have not seen it? Uh, basically, this loner who's in New York, um, he lives in a seedy hotel, and he's trying to find the doctor that separated his brother. He is normal-looking. His brother is a glob of snot with eyes, basically, and vicious teeth. It, it's sharp teeth for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's about. But he wants vengeance because they separate him. He wants them to put him back together, if I remember correctly, which seems yeah. strange. But I don't think it's his choice. It's his brother. His uh, his telepathic powers over his uh, normal brother is forcing him to go on this. He's terrible. He wants nothing. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. The, the little blob that looks like a gray booger with uh, this weird deformed hand and sharp teeth somehow has, like, psychic powers and is, like, manipulating his brother. I didn't I didn't get it, but it was awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of these things where uh, you could look down on it because his teeth, the, you know, the stop motion ain't been well done. It is very, very poorly done. Uh, some of the stuff doesn't come through. Like when the guy is shooting bullets at the beginning of the movie, clearly he doesn't even have caps. He has nothing. There's nothing coming out of that gun. It's just the sound effect. It's cheap yeah. in that way, but there's something charming about how cheap it is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh it's just one of those weird movies that really can coast on the concept where you can kind of forgive the the little things because, you know, you're watching a movie about a, a sentient uh, glob with psychic power, so you kind of just forgive the uh, all the little things. And this is, not only was this a grindhouse movie, but this was a midnight movie, which is something I don't think even part of our culture anymore. It kind of died off in the early 90s. But I would love it to see if something like this could happen again. Like, back then there was Basket Case, of course, Rocky Horror Picture Show being the mother of all midnight shows, but Buckaroo Banzai was one of those. It was, it was a place for movies with just truly insane original ideas that weren't accepted by the mainstream, but enough people discovered it that it became a cult following and just playing for years until the print wore out and they had to make a new one or it was sent to video. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know much about the history of this one, so I'm going to have to pass the torch on to you to give us a history lesson here. Yeah, actually, I don't know much about this either. Uh, I do know that it did play uh, Midnight Theaters and Grindhouses, and it did eventually hit video, and that's where it exploded. Uh, during the early 80s, there wasn't a lot on video, period. And, you know, the stores are desperately looking around for something to rent to their customers. And so Basket Case was something that people found on video because there wasn't a lot to choose from, and it started to build up an audience there. And that's why we have Basket Case 2 and 3 is because by the time 1988, 89 rolled around, it became a huge thing. I think it was playing on cable, too. Uh, I haven't seen the sequels. Have you? I have not seen any of the sequels. I think I started the second one, but it was just too boring. Yeah, I think the charm might be gone when there's an actual budget. Like, the first one cost, and I kid you not, I, if I remember correctly, it was $16,000 to film. Uh, I don't know if that's, like, the you know the print cost and, you know, final production, but the second one was $2.5 million. That's a pretty yeah, decent budget for a movie at that time for, like, you know, this style of movie. Yeah, definitely. So I think maybe they tried to lost there, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch the, the sequel just out of curiosity, but um, 
of Frank Henenletter's work around that time, I would say Frankenhooker and Brain Damage are the ones that are more noteworthy. I have not seen Frankenhooker. I've heard of Brain Damage, though. Now, Frankenhooker, yeah, you were surprised when I said that, but uh, at the time, it was notorious because it had a VH, uh, VHS sleeve that you could push the button on the front and it would go, why not eight? Why not eight? And I would just push that thing over and over and over. <laughs> uh... Why didn't more people utilize that? As far as I know, it only happened twice. Uh, that company did it with Frank and Hooker, and there was another one. I don't know if it's the same company, but it was called Dead Pit, and it's from the director of Lawnmower Man. And if you push the button on the front, the eyes on the zombies would glow, and it would go... I don't know. It was, it was po- and it had a little puffy cover too. It was like th- uh, 3D kind of style. It's awesome. I wonder if any of those still work. Like just some guy like hoarding the one copy he has that still works, and he randomly just pushes it one a day. He goes, "Yes, I do. I want a day with you, Frank and Hooker. <laughs> I'm so lonely." <laughs> <laughs> so I think he made Basket Case two and three as part of the deal to get those two movies made. Brain damage is awesome. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember that's the one where he has like a little worm living in his head, right? And tells him what to do. Yeah, I think so. so. We should watch those. We should watch those and do an episode later this and see what we think of yeah, those. Yeah, definitely. Because I want you to see Frank and Hook. I am very, I am very intrigued. <laughs> uh, Basket Case is definitely a must-see for anybody who's looking for, uh, uh, during the era of slasher films, because this is basically all there was, or Italian zombie movies, uh, Basket Case stuck out because it was totally and like out of left field. No studio connection whatsoever, just one guy on his own making this. Now, I can't exactly remember um, the the little globby brother thing. It did – how did it kill people? Because I remember it killed the one lady doctor with a bunch of scalpels and stuff. But did it ever actually, like, eat people? Um, I, I think it's bite into them. Uh, I would say that at least one person must have had a heart attack from its scream. That hideous yeah, that... yell, oh, it makes my teeth just, like, melt from terror. It's Yeah, I would say that that actually was pretty haunting. If anything, if anything was was scary, that movie would definitely be that. Oh man, yeah, I think you know he had those teeth, so he'd like slash your neck or stuff. Uh, it was different each time, but yeah, I don't think he actually consumed them. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, makes sense. You do realize the basket's too small for him. Every time they show it, it's of course, clearly too small. <laughs> it it clearly doesn't have anything inside it when the guy's carrying it around. Yeah, but or you like, know, again. When he goes to watch TV, he just puts his hand out, and you're like, no, no, the size of that hand is enormous compared to what we've seen. Yeah, it's again, it's one of those smaller details we kind of overlook. I mean, he probably had $2,000 for special effects, and he used it all for the costume. Yeah. Uh, and the I mean, and everything everything else in there was just, like, dirt cheap. It's just, you know, filming in a small room, or it, pretty much everything just took place in small rooms, just segmented, or... Just, like, shot against a wall pretty yeah. much the entire movie. Well, it feels like a John Waters film. Like, it's just, like, locals. Just locals only. Maybe a couple theater actors, but that's it. Yeah, exactly. You know, they die at the end, so I don't know how they got the sequels. That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, that I, I wondered that, too, which is why I started the second one. Is, is the kid still alive, or does the freak latch himself onto someone else? It, uh, it's, it's been so long, I can't even remember. I gotta find this out. This is a mystery that needs to be solved, people! <laughs> So I would say, yes, definitely check that out. And now the second movie, I'm not so sure about. There's some stuff I really like. I think I liked it more this time. It's the third time I've watched the stuff. Uh, I, there's some great like concepts and ideas going on, but I feel like with the budget that it had, 
uh, the director. I just forgot the name of the director. Damn it, Larry Cohen. I feel like he's either rushed or he was too lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I actually, I mean, it has been a little while since I've seen it, but I really do enjoy that movie. Uh, my friends uh, all watched it around the same time, and we would talk about it constantly for like a year. Something that we all enjoyed. I felt like it was it was kind of like the '80s version of The Blob, um, except. I don't want to say not as cartoony because it was cartoony, but it was it was kind of like it, almost a parody of um, of like nuclear family type, yeah, uh, yeah type of uh, <sighs> reality or whatever. <laughs> so well, I'm a lot at a loss for words, yeah, but well, um, this is, I I, I kind of like was it. It's all about the perfect nuclear family. Exactly. That that's one of the things that I I, I liked about it. Uh, it was kind of like Soylent Green mixed with the Blob. Um, I, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those kind of movies that I think really works uh, if you look at it from that perspective. Now, have you seen the '80s remake of The Blob? I've seen it many times, oh, actually. It's so good. I know the when he pulls the guy through the sink is the definitely the best part. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that Frank Darabont is the writer on it, and he basically just like took no prisoners. Everybody dies in that movie. There's nobody safe, and you just keep thinking, "Oh, that guy is the lead. Oh, he is not the lead. He's dead. Oh, that kid's safe. That kid is not safe." Yeah. Exactly. That's a masterpiece, I think, of horror that's underrated. Uh, the stuff, uh, I, maybe it's because I saw it after the era. Um, I'm a child of the 80s, and I do know that like they get the commercials perfect for how those things were. Everybody was so happy and giddy and all about the nuclear family and health and perfection. That's what Ronald Reagan was selling everybody, and we believed yeah. it, even though we didn't know what was really going on behind the curtains until later. Uh, he did get that, that spoof of American life perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also just I um the the way that people would talk about the stuff was very much kind of cultish and I uh I'm a huge fan of cult like behavior and cult movies. In fact, this is how nerdy I am, but I just recently bought a book about uh about recent cults cuz it, it's just something that really uh, I'm enamored with. Uh I just I just so find uh how cults work so interesting and that's another one of those one of the pieces of the movies is that it really does have that cult like behavior that people exhibit about this mystery product that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that pops up constantly through our lifetime. It, we're not just talking how, this is where I get on a soapbox from people, uh, religion you know, and cults, I think the only difference between a religion and a cult is the amount of people. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have like these weird culty fads, like, you know, of course you have the obvious ones like Jim Jones, uh, but you also have like this weird idea, like these fads of these lifestyles, like the Atkins. Uh, the all-white diet was a thing in the late 70s where you'd wear white, you'd eat white, which had to be the worst diet ever. Oh, we're going to eat uh, cauliflower and milk again. Awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> popcorn with no butter. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. These things pop up constantly, and people don't even know, like, they haven't done any research or anything about it. They're just like, well, my friend said it was great, so it must be great. This is the way I'm changing my life to. Mm-hmm. I, I thought of the stuff as kind of like the um, uh, gluten uh, when it when that whole fad first came out, yeah, it's, it's it was like gluten. Like gluten really is a problem for some people, but it's not like a, it's not necessarily a health thing that people turned it into. Like it was a health option alternative. It really isn't. Yeah, there's people who actually need it, and there's people who are just like this is the new thing. I like it. Yeah, you know, it's funny is the white diet would include the stuff. I don't know what that was, but I bet you those actors were sick of eating it. <laughs> Like day six. Yeah. Anyway, uh, day six. Yeah. I'm eating another pile of this stuff in a scene, and like I want to chuck. I just want to throw up so badly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, just all those uh, factors combined. I I just think it it is. 
I don't want to say it's a perfect parody movie, but I really think it does uh, do justice to things about uh, to um, aspects of culture that are uh, sort of funny and uh, just these things that we take for granted or we just kind of accept without thinking. Now, let's talk about the actors for a sec. Uh, Michael Moriarty was one of Larry Cohen's like reoccurring uh, leads. He did like four or five movies with him. He is on this mm-hmm. other planet at times where I feel like he is just winging it. There's no script. He's just making up his own dialogue. Wait, which one was he? Was he the dad? He's the main actor. He's the, the guy sent to kind of do, uh, do the research on what is the stuff and try to sabotage it. Mm, yeah, yeah. He, he was a horrible drunk, and he admitted himself that uh, he destroyed his career with just too much excess and just bad behavior on sets where no one wanted to work with him. Fantastic actor. He is actually responsible for launching Law & Order. He's the in the first four seasons, but his alcohol got out of control, so they had to fire him. Mm, that's tragic. Yeah, and uh, but there he's on this whole method thing in the movie, and he's fascinating to watch. But you feel like sometimes he's just making up whatever is coming out of his mouth. Yeah, he didn't even look at the script. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. Where I think that it felt rushed is a lot of the special effects don't work. Um, but I also feel like some of the the acting or whatever felt like rehearsals. Like that wasn't the final. It shouldn't. It feels clumsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can kind of forgive some of the acting again, just because it it feels definitely more like a parody than it really does a movie. But I where I think it it really kind of falls flat is that it really is. It, it didn't feel like there was a, a a movie idea. It seemed just more like a bunch of ideas. It didn't really seem to have like this idea of an actual narrative. The uh, militia guy it's, to come at the end is a really strange choice. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, that was the part when I kind of got confused and it felt like a different movie. Yeah, like they cut out some of the story. Like, oh, we were going to introduce this character, his backstory earlier in the movie, but we don't have time, so we cut it out and put it at the end. Though Paul Sorvino is really funny as that crazy, racist militia guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even know that was Paul Sorvino. Are you sure? Yeah, uh, Paul Sorvino plays the military guy. Danny Aiello is in it earlier, and I can't even remember what his character is. I just know he gets eaten by his dog later. Man, I, I don't have anything salient to add to that one. Okay. Just, <laughs> okay it yeah. is what it is. A man got eaten by his dog. Yeah, it's, it's though I do like uh, those alien invasion kind of movies where, uh, you know, like Puppet Masters or Invasion of the Body Snatchers where it's like uh, you're overwhelmed. The odds are against you. The whole town's being taken over. I love that kind of concept. It, it puts a mm-hmm. lot of fear. And then as his family is being taken over, they're trying to force it down his throat, force it down his throat to the point where he eats that shaving cream. Seriously, I was like, "Is he gonna throw up? Because that is awful. How's that even better?" And then he actually does chuck. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. W- would you recommend this movie? I know that I certainly would. Um, just take with a grain of salt that it does feel like it's kind of a rushed production or a little bit lazy. But the idea is solid. The special effects at times can be hideous, but you also have to remember, you know, independent movies in the '80s, unless they're backed by you know, uh, some rich foreign finance here, they're not going to have the budget for special effects. So what they do attempt sometimes is amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, uh, one of the guys was like, uh, at, at the end, was eaten by the stuff. I, I thought, maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly, maybe I'm mixing it up with the blob, I don't know, because they are very similar with how the, the stuff attacks people. But uh, it, it, I thought that effect was worked okay. Um, am I remembering this incorrectly? Was it, was it bad? Um, no, that was fine. You know, is it when they're in the room and it starts shooting up the wall and it goes upwards? And yes. Starts, you know, do you know that's the same exact room they used in Nightmare on Elm Street in the very beginning? 
Uh, no, I did not know that. Yeah, so when, I can't remember her name, but the blonde girl who gets killed at the beginning of Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, it rotates as it, she goes around, so she's falling with gravity, but the camera stays stable, so it looks like it's actually clipping her off the wall. Uh, that's yeah. the same exact set. Yeah. Uh, was, was her name Kelly or Tracy? Something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but I think they used it again later in Cameron's closet, and I think they even used it in Metallica video. That was a very popular set. It didn't cost very much money, but they got a lot of use out of it. Her name was Tina. Sorry, I just ah, remembered that's that. Right, Tina. <laughs> um, Nightmare on Elm Street is one of my favorites. I should totally so know that. I was, that like, I was mad at myself for a second because I couldn't remember her name. <laughs> well, you know, there's that Will Smith song. Uh, I'm sorry, not Will Smith. Uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince about Nightmare on My Street. Where they talk about, they explain the whole story of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, wait, what? The, uh, okay, around 1988, Fresh Prince and uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff, they did a song called Nightmare on My Street. Uh, where they talk about the plot of Friday the 13th Part 1 and 2, and they use sound clips from the movie, but they didn't have permission. So New Line Cinema sued them, and all the uh, profits from that song went to New Line Cinema. But it's still out there. You can still hear it. Uh, it's actually a really good song. You should check it out. Definitely. That is so bizarre. Any song that you use, like, you've got the body, I've got the brain. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent sample. <laughs> that was Part 2 for sure. Yeah. Um, that's a weird one. Part two, to sorry to go off on another tangent because now we're, we, we should not have brought up Nightmare on Elm Street because like now I'm just going to talk about it forever. But uh, the second movie is I think probably one of the best movies only because it's like the most unintentionally gay movie I think I've ever seen in my life. It's underrated. It's that director Jack Shoulder did some excellent movies afterwards, but people always gave him shit for the sequel, and I don't know why. It's just as good as it, it's better than like part four and five. For sure. Before he became well, a jokester. Oh, yeah, because it was part three that was, I think, probably the best objectively. Was it the Dream Warriors where all the kids were in the mental hospital? Yeah, and then after that, it just got too big. It just way too big. It started merchandising the kids. We should do a whole episode of Nightmare on Elm Street, right? I, I know I, people want to hear that. I want to discuss them. I love that series. I, I own all eight films. I, I can talk about them forever. Okay. I do not own the new one. I will not. I don't. I, I can't stand that remake. Oh, I, no, I don't own that one. Blech. Fuck that. I just barfed up some of the stuff. Sorry. It just kind of went... Oh, okay, anywhere. great. <laughs> well, careful. It's going to oddly shoot up to the ceiling for some reason. I love that cynical ending where that kid comes in. He's like, eat! Eat! Eat this stuff! You fed this! You killed my parents! <laughs> That's a dark ending. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, um, the last thing I'll say about this is the stuff was from New World Cinema. And when they went out of business, they sold all their titles to, like, one of these budget companies that would fill Kmarts and Walgreens with, like, back then, $5 VHS tapes was a hell of a bargain, kids, because they were selling for, like, 50 bucks or 80 bucks new. Uh, but the stuff was on every shelf. I ever went to a video store uh, that had some used copies, always the stuff. And the original cover is actually really startling, whereas the newest one is just, I think, his head exploding and the stuff coming out of his mouth. Which is kind of yeah, that's the that's the cover that I'm familiar with, the like the melting of head or something. Yeah, I'm going to show you the original poster. It's really like disturbing and grotesque. At least it was to my 12 year old brain when I first discovered it. But it took me forever to see it. I didn't see it until it was on, um, I think Netflix stream when Netflix first started doing that, like like 2006, 2007. Yeah, that's when I first saw it. Um, so you know what? You you changed my mind. I say recommend. 
All right, cool. I knew I knew I could do it. Yeah, challenge accepted. Um, so <laughs> and I think and Basket Case is a, a definite for oh, both of us. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna watch the sequels, and um, I don't know what we'll do next, but we'll probably put Frank Hooker down the line further. We'll try to pick a different genre, maybe, and go at that. Mm. Um, you want to go at some like uh, terrible action movies? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know what? There's a sleazy uh, one with Nings Hauser called Vice Squad. Which it's sleazy, but it's so insanely awesome. Uh, it's if I can find it, we'll try to do that one. Um, otherwise, till then, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment, and you see all the episodes of Trash Summer there and all the other shows that we do. And Kersey, thank you again for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Trash Cinema. This episode, we're discussing Vice Squad and Angel from 1984. Hollywood, the dream and a nightmare. chose two trashy movies from Sandy Howard, very similar in style. I wanted to see how um, Kersey would, uh, how, how did you feel about these movies? Uh, I actually kind of like both of them for different reasons. I felt maybe like uh, Vice Squad was, uh, I, I felt like Vice Squad was kind of in the same vein as uh, Pool Boy 2, Drowning Out the Fury. In the sense where it, it kind of felt like it was a child writing the script. <laughs> Except where Pool Boy, that was kind of, Except for like where Pool Boy, that was the joke. It didn't seem like this was very funny. Um, no, 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 but I, I thought it was okay. Um, 
I, I actually kind of liked Angel, though, to be honest. I, I thought that there was some real heart in the script, but the execution was kind of lousy. Yeah, well, a lot of it comes down to budget. Do they have the money to properly get this idea across? But at the same time, if you start getting a lot of money into it, it takes kind of the sleaze out of it. Right. It definitely, the, the sleaze is definitely there. It really did feel authentic in a way that I don't think that if you tried to make that movie today, it would work. No. Uh, and, and kind of similar in its plot, in the way that it's connected to, like, you know, the back streets of some big city, uh, connected to policemen helping a prostitute, you know, stop a killer. Either he was a pimp or he's a serial killer. Very similar style. And I wonder if that was intentional by the producer, Sandy Howard. Um, he did these two movies, and he also did, to make it confusing, a movie called Hollywood Vice Squad with Carrie Fisher four years later, which um, overseas, Hollywood Vice Squad is called Vice Squad. And Vice Squad overseas is called Hollywood Vice Squad. So, um, that had to get wow. confusing. Okay, later. that's, yeah, wow, all right. Uh, so the first movie is Vice Squad. This one I actually think is just incredibly intense, even though not all of it seems to be that challenging, like you said, in the writing. It's the actors, especially Wings Hauser. Holy shit is Ramrod. What one hell of a villain. Uh, I don't know. I he was so over the top for me that I couldn't really take it seriously. I, I mean, I I was watching it earlier this morning, and my girlfriend walks in and just immediately starts laughing. Like it's <laughs> it's not much that someone can just immediately look at a movie in two seconds and then just have this bout of laughter. Yeah, he's and like, I don't know. I'm kind of. He's, I don't know if he's method acting or what he's doing, or he's just that crazy. He's like a legend of trash cinema. Almost everything that he's done in his career would fit in this show. Yeah. I guess we're... <laughs> that was a point where yeah, we're like, just leave, just contemplating gonna, the whole thing. I'm just going to float that. I don't really know how to, <laughs> how to comment on yeah, it. Yeah, before we started the season, we were throwing sh uh, titles around and stuff like that, and you were talking about Red Brown, and that's how we end up doing uh, your Hunter from the Future. And then I was like, you ever heard of Wingshauser? And you're like, no, who's that? And I was like, oh my god, you're in for a treat. <laughs> this, of his movies, is probably his best. Because uh, the rest of them, it just descends from there. It either gets completely insane or it's so low budget mm -hmm. that it's just not entertaining. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this one kind of falls in the middle of those two. And was there anything that you liked about it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, not really the main character. Not really the cop. I would probably say Wings Hauser was the best part. Yeah, it just he's so memorable. And the final action sequence is pretty good, too. I mean, you can tell that they were like, we don't have money for real special effects. So we're just going to literally drive through walls. We're going to just jump off this shit. And, and if our actors die, we'll just replace them with a stuntman. Pretty much. Yeah, uh, I that, that was that is kind of a good difference between uh, that um, Angel and Vice Squad because the, the last action sequence of uh angel actually i thought really sucked because they were like trying to do something that they really didn't have the budget or talent for but yeah. whereas uh vice squad i thought like most of the movie sucked but i really liked the ending yeah this one wasn't that big of a hit but it did launch like i said wings hauser for a little bit but angel was a very big hit for the studio I, and we're talking like independent big hit you know 14 15 million right. dollars yeah, for a, a million dollar movie it's huge back then um, had you ever heard of Angel uh, either? I have not heard of Angel. There are four Angel movies, and this one... I know, I was actually looking that up. I saw. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how you can really stretch this concept for four <laughs> oh, movies. Oh, it gets worse. 
Um, the second one, <laughs> the second one, it turns into a full on like vigilante, like Charles Bronson Death Wish kind of movie. And immediately... I was just gonna say, does it go Death Wish on it? Does she get like a bazooka at the end or something? Oh yeah, she starts. No, she doesn't get a bazooka. But she starts carrying around like a big old like dirty hairy gun and killing all these people. And okay. and uh, they they replace the actress. The reason the first movie works so well is because of the lead actress. The second one, they just get somebody else. Mm-hmm. And like no, and the third one, they get somebody else. Every single movie has a different girl playing Angel. Uh, and three isn't too bad, but four, I swear, has the budget of, like, a music video. And it's so bad. Wow. Uh, I, I don't know. That's the weird thing about Angel, because the, the lead actress's acting is not very good. But for whatever reason, she I, I think she is probably one of the best parts. She can Somehow she can convey the emotion of that character, but she's not a very good actress in general. But it's like somehow you kind of feel for her. Well, she's the only one that they cast as Angel in the four movies that looks like a kid. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's part of it, that appeal. Because once you see the second one, they rushed the sequel. It was like less than a year later. And all of a sudden, you got like a 28-year-old playing a high school student. You're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so this one, um, I think a part of it also is Andrew Davis, who would later go on to do The Fugitive and Under Siege. He was a cinematographer on it. While they were strict on the budget, I thought it looked good for a tiny budget movie. Which one are we talking about? We're talking about Angel. Angel, okay. Uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely better than Vice Squad. Vice Squad <clears throat> kind of felt uh, kind of all over the place. The, uh, the villain in this one, um, he doesn't go anywhere nearly as big as Wings Hauser, and there's something kind of disturbing about little things that he does. The, uh, the egg-sucking scene sticks in my mind as, what the hell is going on? Yeah, that was bizarre. I thought it was kind of funny that somebody earlier in the movie had said something about sucking eggs, and then, you know, it shows a scene of the villain actually doing it. Yeah, but he does. I thought it's that like, was kind of weird. It's like he's killing the egg. Yeah, exactly. He stabs it a little bit and sucks the the guts out of it. And uh, <laughs> but what was that? Well, actually, it was kind of cool is that he didn't talk through the entire movie until the very end, just as he's dying. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, the Hari Krishna scene. I forgot about Hari Krishna. That they were like this massive thing in the seventies <laughs> and eighties. So like, oh shit, that's right. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a Hari Krishna in twenty years. Uh, that's how that's how young I am. I don't even know what the hell a Hare Krishna is. Like I know what they look like, but I don't. I've like never seen one. Yeah, I kind of remember it was like one of those seventy like cult kind of things. It just kept growing and growing, and wouldn't go away, and they kept hanging out in airports, bugging people, and singing their little songs. And and um, now it's a, a rampant joke. If you ever see one, you're just like, what am I looking at? Some you know, an alien from another planet. But it was it was everywhere. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen parodies of them. I've just never actually seen them before. I know <laughs> Simpsons made a lot of jokes at their expense, which I never got. But yeah. yeah. Um, so this one, I think, works. You're right. It, there's a lot of heart in this. It's it's a lot about her misfit family. You really feel for them. Yeah, I I, I have to say, like, despite kind of the hammy acting, I actually did find myself uh, liking a lot of the characters. Yeah. I, I did. It really does sell itself as sort of a character story. Um, her, I don't even remember her friend's name to be perfectly honest, but <clears throat> her trans, uh, uh, or cross-dressing friend, uh, was, uh, really funny. I, I don't know about that action sequence with him and the killer was kind of weird, but other than that, I thought he was great. That sequence where he says, he's killing me, and I was just kind of like, all of a sudden kind of really heartbroken. The way he says it is so, like, unusual. Like, it's not a movie way of saying it. It was as if, you know, like that awkward real life way of, like, oh, he's killing me, I'm dying, or something like that. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, you know, I kind of like got a little lump in my throat for a moment. 
Really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't that, know. I, I, actor, I, that was a little, that was a, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that actor, Dick Sean, the only thing I've ever seen him in besides this is if you've ever seen the original producers, he's the one who plays Hitler on stage, who plays him so effeminate that it becomes a huge hit. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. I don't, uh, I, I didn't recognize him. No, what were you going to say? Oh, right. Um, oh, I actually, I thought the scene where he was pretending to be Angel's mom, that was kind of the scene for me that I actually thought was kind of. Uh, more was like actually heartfelt, and I like really felt for that character. Yeah, that moment. Well, he was a really good one, and, and taking him out of the series uh, hurt it a lot because, um, you know, the crazy what I don't know what her name was. She's like a painter, uh, Susan Tyrell. She's kind of like part of the punk rock art scene of that time. Um, mm. She's in the sequels as well as Rory uh, Calhoun, who plays Kit Carson. They're in the sequels, but I don't think they bounce the same way without uh, the transvestite played by Dick Sean in it. Yeah, because he really carried the the comedy of the movie, really kind of kept it from being stale or being overly, I don't want to say, I don't think pretentious is the word, but just kind of being overbearing. And then also having such, being such a genuine sort of uh, person at the same time also kind of anchors the emotion too. There's another character, I couldn't find the character's name in it, but um, he kind of pops in and out of the movie. He's like a clown kind of mime character. I don't know who played him, but I thought he was... Oh, you mean... it's. You mean Yo-Yo? Was that his name? I oh, know. Was that Vice Squad? No, no, that's just. Wait, which one? I, I saw both of them right after the other, yeah. so I can't remember. I yeah, <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I think it's Yo-Yo, the guy that does like the tricks. Yeah, I really liked his character. You know, it's basically, you know, um, like you said, these movies couldn't be made today because a they're set in the griminess of cities. You know, that was a big thing in like grindhouse and trashy movies was uh new york la chicago the the back streets and, and the dirty part of town like 42nd street was a character and the, now the movies just seem so bland like anywhere america kind of thing yeah exactly like the ghostbusters the new ghostbusters for instance i'm not going to go on a whole thing about it but it, it's a the, the movie was shot in chicago because like that's how that, that that's just how movies are kind of made now with, with cities they're all just the same yeah, like, well, which one a movie would give us where the best it's staple, exactly. That's that's why they did it, um, but that didn't stop it from being a complete flop. But it, it, that's just, but it kind of just speaks to that. Where like the the Ghostbusters was just was New York. Everybody knew that, and then they can go to Chicago and like no one can tell the difference. Or maybe people did. I don't know, but because I, I didn't see it. Yeah, I uh, did. You watch the um, the the good guys, not the good guys, um, the nice guys. Fuck yeah, I watched The Nice Guys. I love Shane Black. Pretty much everything he touches is gold, but uh, that yeah, I thought that was a great movie. Yeah, it's, it's the best thing I've seen this year so far. In L.A. in the 70s was a character in that movie. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely crucial that he get that right. Yeah, I love uh, all the, the set pieces. The, the, the style of it was, was just on point. I love uh, that they kind of uh, talk about the smog uh, at that time. Yeah. It just like it really set the tone of the movie and where they were at this time. And while it wasn't directly uh, talked about as a character, really did kind of uh, it really was important somehow. Yeah, and that's what I like about a lot of these movies of this era. While the quality of them can be questionable, um, having the city be an extra character, like their set pieces designed around these cities, like Basket Case, could not be set in any town in America. It had to be set in like the shittiest neighborhood in New York for it to really work. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I feel it's about It's just something that doesn't really, yeah, it's just something that doesn't really happen anymore. It, it, it's really, it, it can only be handled by very few directors now. 
so would you suggest either one of these? I would suggest Angel. I think Angel is actually pretty decent. I didn't. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm gonna go up top, and I'm gonna say both. I would. I think that uh, Vice Squad is pretty funny, in my opinion. Uh, the the writing is so laughably ridiculous at times. <laughs> it, it very much. It, it's to me. It, it sounds like it was written by a ten year old trying to write adult dialogue. You know. And so it's just kind of laughable for that reason to watch. And I, I, again, Wings Hauser is so amazing at that role um, that he, he you can't just watch it for him, and it's pretty badass. And actually, that scene where he kills those cops in the car was actually pretty cool. Uh, even by today's standards, I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty badass. Right after Vice Squad, he did a movie for the same producer called Deadly Force. And imagine if this bonkers character was a good guy. Uh, fighting the mob in L.A. in the in the early '80s, and <laughs> it's insane. Like this guy's a hero. This is, what? <laughs> that sounds like something we got to watch. I, I'm interested in that one. We might do a sequel. Um, another one. Maybe we should do this, and then finally, I'm going to try to find Hollywood Vice Squad. I want to see Carrie Fisher. Uh, this movie, by the way, bridges the two because um, she's a mom looking for her daughter who was taken into human trafficking into L.A., and then she gets the help of the cops hmm. or whatever. So it's like both movies magically put together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, and of course, Angel. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Angel. Uh, I, I think it has a lot of heart, although uh, the, some of the acting is pretty bad. And uh, some of the acting, especially in that scene where those teenage teenagers from the school uh, put Angel in the car, that, oh, that right. one guy, the, 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 typical, uh, the typical annoying uh, best friend to the villain character. Uh, he was insufferable, but it was only for a few minutes, so it was fine. Um, so but yeah, I, I think it, it did. Oh, good. Oh, I would say definitely it has heart. I uh, enjoyed watching it. The sequel, I'll give you uh, part two. Don't watch it. It is unbelievably like flimsy. It's so poorly done. They kill off her cop friend who basically adopts her, and then that's why she becomes like a Charles Bronson character. Skip the second one. The third one isn't too bad, actually. Um, I ended up watching it last year because one of my friends had a small part in it, um, and I had to see it, and it's not that bad. But part four, oh my god, run away screaming. Pretend that doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, this is probably one of the first, uh, one of the first double features that I've actually liked both of them. Cool. I'm glad it went well. Yeah. I think this is the way we should go with the show. Instead of trashing movies that are terrible, find movies that actually fit legitimately into the whole drive-in, grindhouse kind of uh, concept, like that, that atmosphere. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, yeah, I like that idea. It's just hard to find, you know? Yeah, and uh, next week is your selection, so do you have anything on your mind right now, or do you want to maybe think about it? Uh, well, I, I have one for sure, because I actually wanted to revisit it uh, recently, which is Terror Vision. That's going kind of back to the uh, sci-fi uh, grindhouse stuff. Yeah, Empire Pictures. Those guys basically only had one hit that uh, people still respect is Reanimator. They did Troll, Ghoulies. Um, but Terror Vision mm -hmm. was right around that time and it got kind of lost. So maybe we'll try to find something that goes well with Terror Vision and do that next week. All right, that sounds good. All right, everybody, that is it for us here at Trash Cinema. Check us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. That's the main page for all the podcasts that we do. And thank you, Kersey, for um, joining me for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. And everybody, have a good night.
Welcome back to Trash Cinema. Uh, kind of a long gap there between episodes. That's my fault. I get distracted easily. I like shiny objects. So, sorry. Uh, Kersey has been waiting patiently for a couple weeks for me to get my act together. How's it going, Kersey? Go pretty good. It's not entirely your fault. Uh, work has just been crazy. I want to say this first. Uh, TerraVision I've seen before. I had no problem watching that the second time. Oh, man. I, I even suggested Video Dead, and I watched the first five minutes. I was like, fuck, can I back out of this? Can I find something else to go with Terravision? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought Video Dead was great. Uh, I Well, a great relative meaning it was horrible, but it was hilariously horrible. <laughs> like, it was, it was possibly one of the most inept movies I've ever seen, where, like, they couldn't do anything right. Like, it seemed like... They couldn't sync up uh, the the voices right. They uh, it seemed like they forgot their names at some point. I I, I had that down somewhere. At, like at one point, someone I think said the wrong name. It was it was really weird, but it, it, it was just it was just so weird. There is yeah, a movie. it was just really weird. There's a movie called Desert Warrior with Lou Ferrigno where I shit you not, the guy walks in. Uh, to, towards camera, whatever, and says something to the doctor, but he says the doctor's name incorrectly, backs up, comes back, and says it again. There's no cut. <laughs> the, the, the director just left it in. 
uh, Rekio also has that has that issue. It's a little it's a little harder to notice, but there's a scene where uh, they're, they're like throwing tombstones at uh, Rekio and he's breaking them. Uh, but you'll, if you notice, if you look closely, that you'll see someone. There's a, a shot where he like breaks two stones by like clapping his hands together, but you'll see like a, a, an extra's hand just like out uh, on the frame, throwing it like lobbing it up at him, <laughs> and then it does. And then it does the exact same scene, the exact same two tombstones clapping like right after another, but you don't see the guy's hand. So they're like fucked up, but they forgot to take out the fuck up. Wow. Yeah, this movie, I don't understand. Let's start off with Video Dead because this is the one I got to bitch about the most. Um, you're right. It's completely yeah. inept. This is a uh, maybe a $150,000 movie. This is it's clearly made for video, uh, but it's just like a borderline just like is this a fan film what is this is this like a college film i don't know what this is this is a legit production yeah you said one hundred fifty thousand dollars. i can't believe that that's true uh like when you look at it it looks like something that was just filmed at like some some guy's parents house when they're like gone for the weekend or something well film costs a lot of money i mean this is before digital video made everything so much cheaper. Uh, this is film stock yeah that's true and they did have a couple decent special effects sequence they had to have that optical stuff and then they had to have the bladder effects god i there's something about 80s horror movies whenever i see bladder effects i'm like i'm down i'm watching this what is this <laughs> <laughs> no i i actually was gonna say the one good thing that wasn't completely enough was probably the makeup i thought the makeup on the zombies specifically like the first one was like was really good I want to say that this is very similar to the Italian style horror movie, uh, zombie movies. You ever watch any of those, like uh, zombie? Uh, no, but that is on my list of things to watch. Their their special effects crews were kind of lacking. They didn't have the glory of some of these people that are well known during the '80s, and all their special effects look just like it's almost disturbing. Like it's so low budget and weird and creepy. And uh, there's one called Burial Ground where. Uh, every single zombie looks like garbage. It looks like shit, but there's something really un like unsettling about how bad it looked. Yeah, I, I, the reason why I wanted to see zombie, not just because yeah, I, it's notorious amongst uh, trash fans like you and I, uh, but just because that, that picture of that zombie with like the maggots in his eye yeah. is just so disturbing that wow. I kind of have to see it. I've seen it on the big screen. We... Uh... For one weekend, we uh, rented out our theater to um, a horror host, and he found a bunch of public domain films. And so he showed Zombie, he showed Burial Ground, he showed Creature, and Night of the Living Dead. And there's something just like rots in your brain just watching that worm go in and out. And, oh, the movie's just gross. He like shoves his thumb into someone's eye. We should talk about this movie sometime down the road if I can ever sit through it again. Just for the fact that there's a zombie versus shark sequence. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, well, I, I, mark me down, because that sounds amazing. <laughs> now, this director, he only did one other movie. It was still like a low-budget piece of shit. But I got to tell you, I don't know how it's possible, but he is the uh, assistant director on a bunch of like network TV shows. He did 90210. He did JAG, um, Justice, uh, Heroes. He was the first assistant director for nine episodes of Hero. House, 30 episodes. This guy is like legit. He works on Crossbones and Banshee now. How is this possible? <laughs> this hap this happens every so often. I can't remember what I can't remember this guy's name or what he did. Basically, like the the writer and director of the movie Nightcrawler, which is a amazing movie, by the way. I think it was made last year. I can't remember uh, the guy's name, the writer director, but I looked at his film history. He's only got like five credits, and all of them are terrible, uh, like movies and projects, except that one. It was like it just exceptional movie that he made. 
in like his late forties or fifties, and like he's never made anything good before or since. Are we talking about Jake Gyllenhaal's movie? Yeah, yeah. Nightcrawler. Let's see who the director was in this, because I'm very curious. Um, I feel like it was somebody that I knew who he was. Dan Gilroy. Uh, we're getting off the sidetrack. I'm gonna look, I'll talk about this. Book. But back to the movie. Um, why is it so long? Why is it so godforsaken long? Why is this more than seventy minutes? <laughs> it's only an hour and a half. No way! It's no, only an hour and no, a half. no, no, no. This movie is eighteen. <laughs> I'm still watching it. I started three weeks ago. I'm still watching it. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't feel like it dragged as much. I mean, definitely during the part when uh, the kid. Who, I mean, I use that term loosely because he looked like he was thirty. But the supposed teenage brother and the cowboy guy. Once that sequence starts, when they go out to the woods, that's when it starts to feel like an eternity. There is a. But I mean, I thought. Oh, good. Uh, I was just because, yeah. But I, I mean, like everything leading up to that, I thought was great. I was laughing my ass off. Uh, my girlfriend walked in, just looked at what I was looking at, and then <laughs> immediately walked out. So... You know, this happens every time we do an episode. You mention it, and she walked in, and she's like, "What is this shit?" And walks right back out. <laughs> yeah, I, that's kind of a running motif of my life right now. <laughs> it's all my fault. <laughs> no, this has been happening for quite a while. Okay, now. thank God, because I was like, if I ever, if if I cause a breakup, I'll feel terrible. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do is watch shitty movies. You won't watch anything good with us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she. I don't. I don't think she has any room to criticize my movie taste. But that's just my opinion. Is there a lot of Kate Hudson going on in your place? <laughs> no, she's just like a fan of like the movie Underworld. So it's oh, a different kind ooh, of crap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll watch Video Dead again before I ever watch Underworld ever. Now, the whole post-Matrix leather thing is just oh, fucked up. I can't stand it anymore. Uh, Video Dead. Okay, anyway, so, so... Do they tell you the origin? Did I miss... How is this even possible that these zombies can walk out of this TV? I was just thinking that, too, because I, I, what I, the thing I don't like about zombie movies... I was just going to say that it's not realistic, but you know what? The whole premise isn't realistic, yeah. but I don't like that zombies for some reason have like super strength when it's convenient or are like super quiet when it's convenient. Like when you watch Walking Dead, there's always that sequence when there's like someone walking in the woods and a zombie like appears right out from a tree or some shit yeah. like I, I, that kind of like ruins the immersion for me. So especially for this movie, like zombies can barely walk or stand upright. And yet, like, this uh, the zombie, like, pulled himself out of the TV, you know, that was, like, facing up. So, I, I don't know. Stuff like that always just kind of ruins it for me. Well, there was a sequence where I, if I remember this incorrectly, uh, I'm sure I have. But I swear that he takes somebody and shoves them in a washer or something like that. Just, like, rams them into a washer and there's blood everywhere. How do they get that strength? Uh, yeah, I know. That's one of those things I was talking about. Uh, a friend, another good example is um shit game of thrones now oh god i'm gonna rant about this but i fucking hate the the white walkers in that show because they're basically zombies but really well that's a topic for another time because i'll i'm like if i want to jerk off and see sword and sorcery uh i'll watch game of thrones but i kind of like to keep those two separate (laughs) oh all right but anyway (laughs) uh what i don't like about the the zombies in that in that show is just they, for whatever reason, they just like build them up as being super strong, and they can like, like there's a scene the first time the White Walkers appear is like the skeleton. He's just a skeleton, and I get that it's like a magic part. You know, it's like, it's it's a magic thing, or he has like super strength, or he's able to break through like a a wooden door that's like a foot thick. So he's super strong, 
and then somebody just steps on his head and crushes it immediately. I'm like, no. where the hell is the consistency of strength here? No, because the hand would shatter. If you could if you could smash the skull, his hand would shatter when it beat on the door. Exactly. So, it is, yeah, it's stuff like that I hate. I actually can't stand zombie movies for the most part, uh, except for maybe Shaun of the Dead and some of the more comedic ones. When it, when it comes to horror movies, I do tend mm-hmm. to gear towards more comedy stuff. But um, mm-hmm. I always feel like zombie movies, outside of Romero, who filled them with great subtext, um, are these weird, cathartic, I just want to see things kill. When I ask people at work, I'll say, "Would you, what kind of post-apocalyptic world would you want to live in? You know, like a Mad Max one, no, one with no electricity, like an EMP blast, a zombie one? Every single person says zombie. And I get this answer a lot. Well, I would just be fun killing them. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? These people you probably would know. These are you know, your friends, and now they're dead. And eventually, you're going to be eaten, because no one really survives a zombie apocalypse. I don't get this. I think there's just a yeah, weird that's subtext just... they just want to murder. It's a yeah. I always find that to be super. Uh, those people to be psychotic. It, it, it's it's a it's a, it's a suicide wish. It's a death wish to want to live in a zombie world. I mean, I mean, granted, in a reality, if those like you know George A. Romero zombies existed, you could just like you could be in your house. They'd never get in because they'd be super weak. But still, it, it, it to want to go out and uh, just because you want to kill stuff seems pretty uh, psychotic. I mean, I I'm, I don't really want to live in a Mad Max world because I'd be like the guy tied to the to the car that they fuck up. So I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I'm the one weird assless chaps going the gates, open the gates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're all like, "Put your pants back on, Michael. There's nowhere to. What are you talking about? You crackhead. This happened two days ago. <laughs> but I bought them. No, I would prefer an EMP blast because. Uh, you can still eat. You can still grow things. I mean, uh, life existed before electricity, and I would get a lot of reading done. Yeah, I, I would probably, if, if I had to choose one, probably go with that one. Maybe zombie, just because I could hide in a closet and, and they'd never get in because they're too weak to open a fucking door. <laughs> it always is ridiculous. Like, you watch Shaun of the Dead, and he's amongst them. He's running, like, trying to, come on, follow me! And no one, you know, like, really can yeah, strong exactly. him. But then you watch, like, Walking Dead, like you said, and, and all of a sudden it just goes from, ah, you know, and he's, like, you know, un, like ripping their guts out and ripping their arms off. You're like, how is that possible? Yeah. But it's all... I mean, like, especially with this latest season, there's that, like, there's, like, zombies that are, like, literally decayed now. So it's, like, it's getting that far into the series, uh, which is one of the things I do like about it. They do show sort of the gradual decay of the zombies throughout the throughout the, se- the series. Yeah. Um, but you can't really make the zombies scary anymore in the series. No, it's it's more about the surviving against each other now. It's it's more about man against man. Yeah, which is why I'm super excited for Negan. Wait, okay, hold on. Are we just doing everything to avoid talking about? We uh, are. I did this on purpose. Shit, you <laughs> figured it out. <laughs> Damn. All right. So there is no real answer to what. How is this TV possessed with this movie and the zombies come out? And see, we see the one zombie climb out of the TV, which is bonkers. But then it seems like it's just random after that. They're just all of a sudden they're just in the woods. I'm like, did you guys climb out of different TVs? Are there more of these TVs? There's no way you all came out of that well, television because you're in the basement. They never explained it, but it's what it seemed like was happening was that it was some kind of occultist behavior or something like the TVs were possessed by like some d- strange people who were, who were demonic or whatever, but they never really presented that. It seemed like it was building up to some kind of a uh, secret cabal or whatever, but it never happened. It was just kind of random. There, There is a movie similar to this around the same time. It came out of Italy called Demons 2. The first one is amazing. The second one 
Um, it's about like these, like a, it's an occult kind of thing, like a devil uh, possession thing where uh, they watch this movie in the first one and the demons come out of the movie. And the second one, they're in this high-rise apartment complex and they come out of the TVs. If you want to watch something with this kind of concept, but a hell of a lot better, watch Demons. <laughs> and uh, Anything else you want to say about it? Uh, okay, so uh, Video Dead, um, fuck, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Yeah. I, I'm stunned that they actually took the they killed that kid. Like was just ruthless. The one that we were with the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I ruined it for you. Yeah, I, I actually. <laughs> yeah, we maybe should have put spoilers there. But you know what? To be honest, I forgot that happened. Like by by that point in the movie, I was just so tired. Uh, pretty much of the movie because that whole sequence in the woods just felt like a fucking eternity. It did. That the end just I, I kind of forget what happened at the end. I know that she. What happened at the end? They like this. The zombies just sort of came in, and she was like hosting them or something. Yeah, that's the most crazy part. Okay, so uh, clearly they're not like bloodlust. They're not after like uh, it's not what they need to survive. Like the way zombie movies normally are, they they need brains or flesh to keep going. They just can't stop that craving. And in this one, it's a little comedic. There's some stuff in there that's kind of Return of the Dead, Living Dead, kind of spoofish. Uh, but she has them all down in the basement, and she's like hosting them like a dinner, like they're dinner guests. And it gets really strange, and she's like, I need to go find records for this. And they're like, I have a record here. And all of a sudden, they decide that's her backstabbing them or whatever, and she runs up the stairs. And, of course, she trips the second she turns around in the worst stunt way ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she ends up in a mental hospital, and they bring the TV to her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, hospitals don't have TV. Yeah, exactly. No, I think the idea was that, they feed on fear or something like that. So if you're scared, that's when they want to eat you. Oh, oh, I didn't think of that. But if, but if that was the case, why did they try to kill the fat dude? Because he clearly wasn't afraid of them. I don't know. Why, why am I? Why am I trying to poke holes in this? Like, it's know. a movie where zombies come out of TVs. I, I don't know. This this is a plot held together by duct tape. I mean, this is this is awful. Yeah. That moment. I though, mean, if you want to see a, a, oh. If you want to see a crappy zombie movie with 80s stereotypes, I mean, it's it's all right. Yeah. There's a couple scary moments. I did jump, like, once or twice. Uh, one, because I slept on my foot and it was numb. And the other one, because I was like, oh, the the, the computer fell, uh, turned off. Even the computer was bored. <laughs> or your computer tried to commit suicide. <laughs> it was like, I'm done. I give up. <laughs> So that's it on Video Dead. I don't want to talk about it anymore. In fact, I'm erasing it from my brain. Eject. All right. Uh, second movie, Terrorvision. A hell of a lot better, but good God, is this one cheap, cheap movie. Yeah, very, very much so. And I, I don't know. This one kind of feels a little bit longer to me, but I, not in a bad way. It, so to ver- uh, uh, the plot. Okay, here's the plot. Uh, they get a special satellite dish. This must have been a satellite dish was like brand new because they act like it's this whole new. I was like, oh, is this did this thing just come out? It's like the hot new thing in everybody's conversation. Uh, they get a big satellite dish. Fuck, these things were enormous, weren't they? These things were like yeah, this this was an actual satellite or some shit. Enormous, <laughs> and something goes wrong, and they get this weird feed from another planet, and through this. Uh, digital feed, I guess the creature can travel through that, through this light, or what do you want to call it? I don't even know. What, how would it travel? Well, well, yeah, okay, so I did look this up later because I was kind of confused. So apparently, this other planet, which is called Pluton, uh, the, basically their uh, garbage and waste is uh, put into this, uh, this area, and then is sort of zapped into space. However, uh, because of that new satellite they got, it was able to pick up the feed and transport it itself to Earth, and, and that's how it happened. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's aliens. We don't know what's going on. Well, so the creature, he was saying that they do have dogs and cats or like something similar to it. And as they get older, they start to mutate. And so they were going to um, put that one to sleep. But somehow he got mixed up in the trash and he traveled through the waves into their house. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we really need to say anything beyond that. I think that just sort of speaks for itself. And that's a plot. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs> All right. The set pieces <laughs> on this house are so shitty. You can tell it's just like, it looks like a porno set. When I worked in theater in college, we had better sets. I think that was supposed to be the vibe. I mean, the parents were swingers, by the way. Really filthy. And they amused uh, that me was... to no end. That was weird. <laughs> I know that's kind of. I know that that's the part that was weird when we just talked about like an alien dog transporting itself into a TV. And I'm like, yeah, those parents were swingers. That was weird. Yeah, that's that's the worst part. That's actually the. I was like, no, let's go back to the one-eyed weird creature because you guys are creeping me out. Yeah, like they they were just gonna have like a four-way orgy. I, I guess it would be considered an orgy in their house with the kids there. That was weird, and they like locked the kid in the bunker How so they, so they could. That was that was bizarre. How many does it take to have an orgy? Is there is there a limit? Is there like a certain? Well, no, technically this doesn't count. We're not going to record this. Well, I think it's I think it's more than three from what I hear. I, from what I hear, I, I don't I don't I don't know. Oh yeah, wait, hold on a second. You you said that a little bit too sure. <laughs> um, you're the record keeper, aren't you? You're going yes, technically this counts. Right, the percentages have gone higher this year. Uh, I work for Webster's. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> You're a, you're a census taker for orgies. <laughs> um, uh, so there's, the alien creature comes to the TV, and I love the grandpa. He's one of those character actors you saw throughout the 70s and 80s, like especially on like every single TV show. If he was on Love Boat, Fantasy Island, uh, Matlock, he's one of those faces. And yeah, he I was so nuts. I was going to say, yeah, the him, the, the grandfather, and the kid together were probably the best parts of the movie. I think they just had great chemistry, and they're very funny. Yeah, Chad Allen would eventually become like one of those teen beat kind of kids because he was on a TV show called Our House, I think, for a few years. So I remember him being like a big thing a few years after this. This must have been like his one of his very first roles, mm. and he's pretty good for a kid actor. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like I said, I thought I thought he was pretty good. I thought the grandpa was great. I did not like the punk guys, the punk uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, his sister and uh, whatever. They uh, uh, so irritating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like his jacket. The Wasp jacket was pretty awesome. <laughs> have you ever listened to Wasp? Never listened to Wasp. Don't plan on it, but oh, I do like that jacket. They do have a couple really like, holy shit, they made this back in 84. This is way ahead of everything else. Wasp is the reason there is a parental code on CD. Really? I thought that was uh, Cannibal Corpse. Oh, wait, no, that was uh, in Germany. Never mind. Yeah, Wasp, their album Fuck Like a Beast came out, and everybody lost their minds. <laughs> Uh, it was kind. Of, it was pretty satisfying when that when that kid was eaten, though. Yes, I thought it was so funny. Hey, you're being a dick, dude! And it is. <laughs> it kills him in such disgusting uh, ways. When it takes out the dad, the perv dad, it like sucks the food. Mm -hmm. It was gross. I was gonna barf. Again, all right. So again, we probably should have mentioned spoilers, but yeah, it, it, it's. I, I guess it, these two movies do have so, somewhat of a similar ending in the fact that everybody is killed. I know! I can't believe they had the balls. Like, video did kind of make sense, because zombie movies tend to have dark endings. This seemed like it was kind of a wacky comedy with just have to have a lot of gross goo and slime. But then at the end, you're just like, hold on. Wait, everybody's dead? Seriously? 
Yeah, and then Elvira fucking, or the dog who is now Elvira, you know, goes to the fucking, the, the TV studio and basically kills the entire planet, so, yeah. It's uh, a little bit like the thing, you know how it absorbed people and mutate them? Uh, that scene where they're all four in the bed, but it's clearly like the mutated gross versions of them. Yeah, that's a little, that won't get out of my head for a while. I'm a little insulted you had to ask me if I knew about the thing. I'm that, sorry. That's pretty low. Hey, hold on. Let me, let me scratch that. <laughs> hey, have you ever seen the Leviathan, which is kind of like the thing? <laughs> <laughs> Except underwater. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, have you seen Leviathan? Uh... <laughs> that movie's disgusting. I love it, but it's gross. No, I haven't. I have not seen Leviathan. Oh my God. It's, uh. The guy who did uh, Rambo, of all things, he did a horror movie where it's underwater and uh, this bacteria uh, gets into Daniel Stern's body and starts to mutate and he starts taking over everybody else and it's got um, uh, Peter Weller from Robocop. He's the hero. It, oh, it, cool. Stan Winston's effects are just jaw-dropping, but the plot is just kind of like, let's move it, let's go. Uh, one of those. Yeah. But uh, the whole ending is just like, it, once it gets to like that last half hour, it's just nonstop. Like, this is insane! But that's what I wish. That I wish that uh, TerraVision had more uh, better better effects. They're very original looking. I'll give them credit for that. But I was like, oh, you guys had like ten bucks. Yeah, I, I I thought it worked to its benefit because it is a very silly uh, sci-fi. And I also I also like that the the aliens weren't uh, were nice. I mean they they were responsible and they weren't there to like try to kill everybody. You know, I mean the dog was, but. Um, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, this movie kind of stands out from other ones because the alien invaders aren't trying to kill anybody. They're trying to help them. And then it was the human that killed the alien. Yeah. It's just like, thinking, uh, when he's on TV, like, uh, Earthlings, beware. The creature has gone through. We really screwed up. Sorry. <laughs> Oopsie to the end of your race. I mean, to their credit, he tried. Just Elvira fucking hit him with the lamp or whatever and yeah. broke his helmet. <laughs> All right, so I think uh, I think we pretty much hit the end of this episode. Uh, to give you a little update on what we were talking about earlier, the guy who drew, who directed Nightcrawler, uh, wrote Born Legacy, Real Steel, Chasers, Free Jack, Two for the Money. Yeah, so studio stuff, just maybe not respectable studio stuff. I love Free Jack, even though it's, it's terrible. Kind of, yeah, it was just kind of uh, crap. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I don't like any of those. But that's fine. I mean, he made Nightcrawler. I think he can. I think he can retire on that, and he'd still be considered a great director. He that's is, how much I think that movie is amazing. Yeah, he's writing Kong Skull Island right now. Uh, I okay. know, right? Why is the guys that do these <laughs> groundbreaking original movies like Nightcrawler? Why isn't the studio go, hey, we got something here. Let's uh, let's give another movie. You know, let him do another original concept. No, the minute you have a, an indie movie that breaks through, they're like, oh, let's attach him to every single huge franchise we have. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of Kevin Smith's fall, too. I mean, uh, Jersey Girl, eh, but, you know, once he made Cop Out after that, that was kind of like the ending of his uh, official career, really. I mean, he's made a couple of things after that, and I kind of like like Red State and Tusk, which I actually kind of like both of them. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, beyond that. I mean, he hasn't really gotten any notoriety since then. No, a lot of those indie guys, though, they, you know, they toil on the scene, making very little money because independent movie hardly ever pays. And then they get the chance to do yeah. something that'll pay him a huge chunk of cash. I guarantee you, the guy who did Nightcrawler probably got about a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to write and direct that movie. But he's going to get probably eight hundred fifty thousand to a million to write Skull uh, Skull Island. Who who's going to be in Skull Island? I don't. I'm just curious right well, now. Well, Samuel Jackson, who's in everything, and uh, Tom Hiddleston, Huddleston? 
Oh, I, I'm over Tom Hiddleston. He was he was like famous for a minute, but I'm I'm done. I can't. You know, he's going to be in the and in, and in, in yet more Marvel movies. I mean, can't we just take his ass out? I'm he's tired of I, he's yeah, over and over done with. It's it's the same joke over and over again where it's like, oh, he tr- he like makes a like an impassioned speech and then immediately gets hit by something in the middle of it. <laughs> it it's okay, we get it. Yeah, well, you know who will never be famous, who will never get sick of seeing their faces, or any of these people from the two movies we discussed, because who knows where the hell they are. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know their character names. That's how little I gave a shit. (laughs) But these are nicknames. Uh, Kid, Grandpa, Sister, Punk, Greasy Father, Greasy Mom, and their two uh, dirty perv friends. That was it. We're done. Oh, and Elvira, the Elvira ripoff. Yeah, but she wasn't even Elvira, so yeah. Yeah, They couldn't get Elvira. Do you think that she was unavailable? Maybe she was like, I'm, even I'm too good for this shit. Yeah, probably. Um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is considered trash, but it's so highly entertaining. Yep. I always think it's funny when I say something, you're just like, yep, nothing, I got nothing on this whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like, <laughs> you're more of a presenter than I am. I'm very, I don't know, I, I don't feel like I talk very much. I'm just okay. more of like, <laughs> oh, let me just think about, let me just think and internalize on this, and then maybe a year from now I'll make a statement about yeah. it. <laughs> I like that sometimes. I like that with comebacks. Like someone will burn me. I'm like, yeah, but all right. And then an hour later, all right, that's a perfect response. Okay, now can I go back in time? Yeah, you just kind of have to wait for that opportunity to present itself again, or just like George from Seinfeld, and just try to make, just try to force that out of somebody. <laughs> um, so we're kind of getting to the end of the season. We've got a couple more episodes because we got a lot of stuff coming up. You got school and work, and I got work and laziness to deal with. Um, so Sounds I'm thinking. Good. There's a genre that we have not touched upon yet, which is considered usually pretty trashy, and it's kung fu flicks. Do you like martial arts movies at all? Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. All right. I want to watch 36 Chambers of Wu-Tang. A Bu- oh, of Wu-Tang. Okay. I have not heard of that one. Uh, I would like to do Taoism Drunkard. Ooh, you're going to send me the clip for that one. I don't know what that is, and I'll try to find... I think I said the wrong thing. I don't think it's 36 Chambers of... Hold on. Let my brain work Shaolin. Is it Shaolin? Well, I mean, that's like the the big one that that's like really popular. Uh, I think about Gordon Lowe or Lau. Yeah, some old school kung fu flicks before Americans came in and ruined it with all these like Van Dams and Steven Seagal's and other people with uh, terrible mm. skills. <laughs> I actually kind of like Van Dam now, but yeah. his first few movies are garbage. Uh, I actually I like Bloodsport. Was that was that one that you enjoy too? Uh, no, I don't like Bloodsport. I think it's ridiculous. What's I can't it? believe there's four of them. Um, I think most of his oh, fighting movies are terrible. I don't think he made a good movie until Death Warrant. And Death Warrant is so crazy underrated. It's a horror movie. It's a slasher movie written by David Goyer, basically, with Kung Fu in it. And it's awesome. Wow. Huh. Well, I should check that out. But I, I like Bloodsport because it has possibly the laziest uh, uh, fucking fight or like... Uh... Uh, mon- like fighting montage it's probably the laziest one I've ever seen my favorite line in that whole movie is that kid who I swear had a head injury or something or he didn't know how to speak English he's like I fight in that kumite and make my father proud <laughs> yeah see it's awesome it's great <laughs> alright so it is called 36 Chamber of Shaolin that was the record album the first uh, Wu-Tang album uh, the, whatever I'm screwed up I'm a dork I don't know what I'm talking about half the time it's called Enter the Wu-Tang the 36 Chambers I got confused so I think that should be next we'll watch uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin and then uh, what was the movie you said again? 
Taoism uh, or Taoism drunkard. It's also uh, I think the Wu Tang actually used to pro- used to like produce or at least like transfer fucking uh, kung fu movies yeah, for a little Rizzo. while. I think they had like a video series. Yeah, the Rizzo. Yeah, I, I think, think they had was, like a video series. I want to say it was Dragon Dynasty. He was doing it for Miramax for a while, and he did like eight or nine movies for them. But we'll we'll discuss those because I want to discuss some kung fu flicks, and uh, then we'll probably do one more and then take the summer or end the summer and just take that off until we get to spring again. We'll do a couple more runs of episodes. I don't want to, I don't make this difficult for uh, people who are going to school. They're, they're, you, I officially have no idea what I'm talking about. We're going to pause for a second while my brain lines up. I have been up for a very, very long time. No, what I was going to say is like, I do a show with a friend of mine, Tony, who's in college and it, it takes up a lot of time uh, for him to watch these movies mm. that he could be studying. I don't want to be that distraction for anybody trying to get their degree. Like, you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm almost done, so I wouldn't worry about it. I got, I got that senioritis thing going. Ah. But I, I like, I like feel entitled to my degree right now. <laughs> Give it to me now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're, you're like Mel Gibson and Ransom. Give me back my son. <laughs> okay. I think I've stretched this episode out long enough. That is it for us here. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. That's where we have all the podcasts, including Trash Cinema. And, Kersey, thank you for tolerating my nonsense for the last half hour. No, thanks for having me. I was definitely trying to avoid talking about Video Dead. I am totally guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, I think about, like, five minutes in, I was starting to realize, hey, we haven't talked about this. We haven't talked about Video Dead for a little while. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, distract, distract, move. Stick a move, stick a move. <laughs> Unfortunately, I play a lot of Mike Tyson's punch out, so it wasn't that effective. <laughs> I'm totally glass Joe. I'm the first one taken out. <laughs> I think you're probably a good Von Kaiser. You're like second to Glass Joe. <laughs> I just, I'm that guy you hit in the belly. Just bong, 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 bong. <laughs> All right, I have, uh, I'm wasting a lot more time. All right, everybody, have a good night. Say what they believe in. Must they always do what the government said? He was a hero. Shaolin technique could be taught here. People could use it to fight the Manchu troops. Welcome to Trash Cinema. Uh, new, normally we play a couple trailers uh, for the movies we're going to discuss, but turns out kung fu trailers are really hard to <laughs> translate over to audio. It's mostly a visual thing. So I'm going to stop it here, and then uh, we'll jump into the episode. All right, everybody, Trash Cinema season finale, which took forever. It's my fault. Kersey, my co-host, is very patient. Thank you, Kersey. Yeah, no problem. I had school starting up, so I had to do a bunch of stuff. Um, I will say, A, I had terrible internet connection, and B, um, Taoism Drunkard took me about 17 tries to get through. 
<laughs> I still have no idea what it's about. It's a hard one. Really hard. <laughs> Our double feature this week is going to be Taoism Drunkard and uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin. That one's probably a little more well-known than uh, the second movie. When you said it, I was like, I've never heard of this. How did you discover this? Well, I'm kind of a big fan of James Rolfe. You know, he does the angry video game nerd kind of stuff, but he also does a lot of movie reviews, and he was doing sort of a this weird week where he's just showing like uh, these uh, Wu-Tang features. Apparently, I don't know, uh, it's been a while, but I think Wu-Tang Clan, or at least they had like a company that would actually import like really bizarre Chinese movies, Kung Fu movies, and that was one of them. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I think that launched when I was working at Blockbuster uh, back in 99. was the very first Wu-Tang video line. And I think Dragon Dynasty, if I remember correctly, was the Weinstein brothers and RZA uh, working together to bring some movies over with. So that's what 36 Chamber, you know, they cleaned up the print of that and brought it over here. Both these movies, I think, are under different name. Uh, Kung Fu Killer, uh, I believe, name that it was shopped under, like, the public domain domain name of 36 Chamber. And Taoism Drunkard, I can't remember, but somehow it's connected to the 36... <laughs> but I think, you know, that's how some of those low-budget sequels are. They just make up a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't see, I didn't see a connection. I mean, I, 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 it's such a weird, bizarre movie and has almost nothing to do. Like 36 Chamber of the Shaolin is just like this very, I don't really want to say confident movie because there, there was a lot of problems with it, but I mean, it, it had a, a certain gracefulness to it and sort of respectability about it. And then I feel like, uh, Taoism Drunkard is more like the, Mo- like a more modern, crazy, off the wall kind of uh, experimental kung fu movie. Yeah, well, I think that and Ricky O would go well together because they're just insane. Yeah. All right, so do you know what's going on in Taoism Drunkard? Because I find myself going, hold on a second. What's the giant black creature with chompy teeth, talks like a baby? What's that about? What's a wolf guy about? Why is there no kung fu? It's like it took so long for any martial arts to actually happen. It's not really martial arts. It's just kind of like this weird, I would say, kind of street fighting with, like, really... I kind of think of it more as a video game. Like, the characters all have, like, these weird gimmicks that they have. Like, the armadillo dude, the guy who had, like, the spiked armor, and would just kind of, like, fight by trying to roll or jump into his enemies. This is uh, so I kind of see it more as, like, a video game. But uh, this, the, the plot is really is not really that complicated. It's just, like, really poorly shot. So, like, the, the story basically is that there was a guy who was tortured by uh, some council, and he basically disappears for a long period of time and then comes back to exact revenge on them with his superior kung fu. We've seen it a million times before, but there, apparently there's, like, some kind of uh, religious angle to it or, like, some kind of spiritual angle to it where they need, like, a virgin boy... Uh, which they call a cherry boy for some reason, at least in the version that I have. So they have, like, some virgin kid, and he has to fight him for some reason. I, I don't know why, but that's just kind of that's just kind of the story. Not really well thought out, but it's kind of something we've seen before. And then, uh, it like, halfway in the movie, it just takes this weird nosedive uh, to this sub-story where uh, the main character's, the virgin's love interest sister is they, they basically just fuck with her for like an hour and it's just completely superfluous and just adds nothing to the plot and it's so boring. I, I don't know like why they did that. They didn't have the money to finish the movie and they had another movie that wasn't finished and I feel like they just patched them together. 
Yeah, because like the screen time that those that the the characters from the main story of you know the fighting of the Virgin Boy fighting the devil uh, character who's like the villain because he's you know got like the black and red cape thing going, so he's supposed to be kind of like the devil. Um, so they had like the amount of time that that character spends with the other character from the other subplot is so minimal that it just seems like it was added last minute. So maybe you're right. Maybe they just have enough to like pad out two hours. Yeah, there was uh, there was a director uh, who could take uh, just parts of movies and fill it in with. I mean, it's kind of Roger Corman style too. But uh, he used to he signed this American actor um, Harrison something Harrison, um, and he signed him to a two picture deal. But what he didn't tell him is there was a loophole in the contract that he could release the footage over and over and over. So this guy got paid for two movies, but he padded out the footage to like twelve other movies, and that's kind of a weird thing that they do over there at times. Yeah, uh, it, it's also reminiscent of like when they localized Power Rangers, where they would just take the the Japanese kung fu stuff, or you know, when they're all dressed up so you can't see their faces, yeah. and then they just add, added the high school sequences. It's, it's jarring. Try to just, you know, here's the weird thing. I'm yeah. looking up this movie. It's uh, it's actually part three of a trilogy. It actually won awards for best choreography. It's directed by Yen Woon Ping. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. I mean, Iron Monkey. I've heard of him. Yeah. No, but I, I, again, the choreography isn't really like martial arts. It's just kind of, I would say it's really creative, especially like the lady with the long uh, sleeves. I thought that that stuff was really cool. Uh, oh, yeah. I probably should have mentioned that. There's another subplot of these beggars who are just kind of like bullying people into donating money to their bullshit uh, fucking religion or whatever yeah, yeah. that they know is bullshit. And. Uh, the the devil guy enlists the help of the lady who's in charge of that cult um, and to steal a magic palette of something. I don't know. You know what? This this actually this this plot is a lot more complex than I remember now that yeah. I'm thinking about it. I found myself constantly lost, rewinding, watching again, rewinding, watching. I was like, oh, I don't understand that. I lose the internet connection. I have to wait a day, come back, and watch it again. So it's one of the most discon- disjointed viewing experiences of my life. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's just it. But you know what? I still like it. I still think it's great. I, I just skip the the middle half of the movie because it has nothing to do with the main story. Yeah. So I, that's what I would suggest. If you, if I mean, unless you find this the the main character fucking with his his girlfriend's sister to be compelling for some reason, then I would just skip the middle half of the movie. It really has nothing to do with anything, yeah. and they never talk about it again. So it's it's pointless. This was a complete struggle for me. I'm not sure I could ever watch this again. I can't even sure I suggest it. The second movie I liked better, but I don't think I'd ever watch it again. But I get why it's um, a cult following for it. I I get it, but when you have when you have so many options for kung for good kung fu movies, you really don't need to see Thirty Six Chamber of the Shaolin. Maybe see it once just because to kind of see where it all started. Yeah. I mean it it's it's decent, but to me it's probably just like. 45 minutes too long. Oh my god. I think the long. training It's ridiculous wow, how long. The training <laughs> The training sequences goes on for too long and I understand that there's 35 different challenges that he has to face and stuff, but that's just too many for one movie. Like who wants to sit and watch a guy go through 35 shitty training stages? Yeah. What the you have you, have you seen the new point break where there's the eight challenges? I'm like, shit, eight challenges. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't see the new point break. Was it good? 
Hell no. But the action sequences are, are jaw-dropping. That's so good. I bet you it looked great in 3D. But I was like, hey, challenge. This movie's two hours long. Why is this two hours long? Um, and that's how I felt about this movie. I was like, 36? Seriously? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he only does eight or nine of them, to be fair. But I... Eh. Even then, it's just kind of boring. You're just like watching him carry water for like ten minutes, and then he's got to hold a hold of a giant mallet and shit for like another ten minutes. He's like hitting a gong. It just becomes so repetitive. Yeah. Oh, with it. Okay. So there's a sequence where he finally starts to discover how he can do the patterns of how he can accomplish these challenges. And there's that one where he's trying to jump on the logs across because everybody's falling in. He jumps across and he hits the edge and he falls backwards like ten times. And you can tell. Yeah, it's the same it does. Footage over and over. Just reversed, yeah, it's crazy. And I was like, just lean forward. It same, yeah, same sound effects every time too, and it, it's just it's awful. You know, it's like with, with most things, there's a rule of three. You do the same thing twice, and the third time you mix it up. You know, like pretty much every major movie kind of that has like a training sequence will do this. You know, like fucking Dark Knight Rises did that. Um, pretty much any movie that has like a training sequence will do will do the rules of three because that's the most that anybody can really put up with something. Yeah. But for this movie, it was like, let's just watch him do shit, like, over and over again. That's fun. You know, the part where he hits the bags with his head, I would be like, that's good. I'm, I'm going to quit. I'll take what I've learned and go somewhere else. Yeah, I, I skipped that part because I, I – the, the dude, the guy training him had, like, an iron hand uh, pole or whatever to, like, slap him. <laughs> but I, after I saw that, I was like, all right, I'm just skipping this whole thing. I don't, I don't really need to see this now. It's bonkers. <laughs> The, uh, the things that know. probably were influential about this movie um, is probably going to be the training sequences, which I can't, I think became part of the staple. Like, every Kung Fu movie after this came about the training sequences. And two, I think the martial arts style had changed, because everything was copying Bruce Lee. And then right around this time is when Jackie Chan broke out, and then 36 Chamber changed how the filming of action sequences were. So I think it's, that's why it's influential, but uh, no, it doesn't hold. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly when you think back to, like, this is kind of like one of the first big kung fu movies. It might have been Shaw Brothers first, if I remember correctly. Maybe not, but um, this definitely sort of set, like, the gold standard at the time. But, again, when you have so many options of movies to watch, like, for instance, I think Snake and Eagle Shadow, uh, Jack Chan movie, is... Uh, you know what? We should have did that. That should have been better than Taoism Drunkard now that I'm thinking about it, because that's the one where it's, like, it's got Kung Fu Jesus in it and shit. Nice. Maybe that would have been better. Hey, next season. Next <laughs> yeah. season. Maybe next season. No, the uh, the Snake and Eagle Shadow, that's the that's the like the most over-the-top uh, Kung Fu death scene where uh, Jackie Chan hits him in the penis really hard, and then he like screams to death. It's hilarious. Screams Maybe, to you, death? Right, I wouldn't say he screams to death, but he just like makes this huge scream and then just falls over and it's it's hilarious but next season maybe all right we'll, we'll figure it out yeah uh but anyway I the shaw brothers have over a thousand yep that's enough time. that's definitely enough time to perfect the formula but i i think this was one of the first no. uh, one of the first few for sure not even close they what? started film production in 1951 so by this time they had about Holy 150 shit. movies under their belt Okay, well then that's kind of weird that they're using this kind of using the same formula and haven't really figured it out yet. Like the training sequences didn't really have any music either. That was another kind of jarring thing that you kind of expect from a training sequence. Yeah, I am was, tiger. <laughs> yeah, you know, like and again, again the the sort of gold water standard that I would use is Snake and Eagle Shadow because uh, it had like electronic keyboard, uh, guitar riffs and shit. So I mean, I, that was kind of 
during the localization, but like even the regular music was more interesting. Kind of like made you it made you feel like it was he was more powerful as he was training, whereas this one just kind of felt. Uh, sorry, but we lost Kersey for a second there. Um, here's the weird thing: I look at the Shaw Brothers movies, and I have there's probably about a thousand movies that they've made, and I would say a thousand of these are worth discussing. There's someone here like Crazy Nuts of Kung Fu, Rivals of Kung Fu, Sex for Sale. What is, is that a Kung Fu flick or what is that? Virgins of the Seven Seas, Superman Against the Orient. These all sound amazing. Yeah, I, that's the one thing I give up. They always have amazing titles to movies that may or may not be disappointing. Uh, did, did did they do the the uh... Oh, God, the Five Deadly Venoms movies at all? Let me look that up, see if they did that. Their list is so long, it was taking forever, unless you know exactly what year that was. Of course, it makes a difference between when they made it and when it got released in America. Well, the Five Deadly Venoms is sort of, it is like a group of five guys that made a, a bunch of kung fu movies. Like, The Crippled Avengers was one of my, was probably my favorites that they've done. But uh, I, I, want, I just want to know if the Shaw Brothers are the ones who, like, made them the stars, or if they did their own thing. Oh. I remember one from them that we watched. Uh, I love the fact that some of these are shot on like those old school sets where it's clearly a set, and uh, it was the Master of the Flying Guillotine. Uh, that movie was just like, uh, jaw dropping when I was a kid. What? Uh, actually, I'm not sure if that if that's the one I'm thinking of. But I went to Hollywood Theater, which, by the way, if you're in Portland, check out the Hollywood Theater when they have their Kung Fu months because they're it's just you're gonna see the craziest shit you've ever seen in your life. But the one that I saw was a double feature of Snake and Eagle Shadow, and then I saw Flying Guillotine, which is the only print in the u.s uh really? it's actually the only print in the world other than china yeah this guy's got like the craziest uh collection of movies you've ever seen but uh i'm not sure if we're talking about the same movie but it is a flying guillotine movie uh was there a part in the movie that you're talking about with like a, a pillar that a guy fell into uh it's, it's like this moving column inside this like house I um think I, it's been 20 something years since i've seen it but I remember it was insanely gory, oh, okay. and there's a thing where it looks like um, it's on a chain, and it, it's like this like cage kind of thing with knives and razors, and he throws it, and it'll spin around their head and chop their head off. Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but th I think there's a few flying guillotine movies. Oh. I'm, um, I'm not sure which one you've seen, but they are I, I think we're talking about sequels, one. aren't they? They they launch more franchises than any other country. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, so I'm looking up well, it, the Five Deadly Venoms real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, it says that yeah, no it problem. was a Shaw Brothers movie, and uh, it was 1978. It is considered the number 11 on the Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films list. I need to. Hmm. I don't think I've seen the original Five Deadly Venoms, but you know that's just kind of like the name that they went under. Um, you know, like the Brat Pack or whatever. Oh. Um, you know, that's not really the names of their movies. That's just kind of the name of their group. But Crippled Avengers was definitely my favorite of theirs. Um, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Again, all of their movies incorporated five deadly venoms or five something in the title. So if there's like a kung fu movie with five in it, it's probably them. Oh, but so I've like, seen a, a few. It's like a martial arts version of like Monty Python. You know, you know, it's those guys behind it. It might be a different story, but that's yeah, exactly. So yeah, I would suggest if you want to see their movies, Crippled Avengers is number one on my list. Um, that oh man, I can't remember that. There's this other one that they did that was amazing. That was. Uh, uh, like there was, they they had there was like some cult or whatever that would, would uh, fight people in like the different ways of of uh, the elements. So there would be like water ones. So there would be like uh, ninjas underwater that would just like come up and stab you and shit. And there's okay. like uh, fire ones and shit. I mean, I've seen they, this. yeah, they make great movies. I've seen this, but I don't know what it oh, is. Oh really? Oh shit! What is that? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, it was on Netflix. I can't remember what it was called. Okay, so I'm looking up Master of the Flying Guillotine, or I don't know how to say it. I, I, I flipped from guillotine to guillotine. Um, I think both are acceptable. 
I, I call it guillotine. Oh, okay. Uh, it's known as the one-armed boxer, but it's also known as one-armed boxer 2, the one-armed boxer versus the flying guillotine. Uh, you know what? I don't know if there's sequels to this. I can't figure it out. Some of these movies, they change titles so many times. Yeah, that just seems like it's a sequel. Yeah, so maybe, I guess we are talking about the same movie, but it's just, uh, yeah, there's so many different titles that you just think that there's multiple. Uh, so to wrap up this episode, I would say 36 Chamber is worth noting just because, A, it launched the Wu-Tang in a way, um, especially that first album. It's named after the beat. Uh, two, I think it changed the style and look of martial arts movies at the time. Uh, Taoism Drunkard is just insane. If you want to see something that'll just make your jaw drop and just scratch your head, that's that's the movie for you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got, I mean, the, the, also not to mention, I, I think one thing that's really worth noting about uh, Towson Drunkard is that the uh, uh, the special effects on the movie are actually pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't know how they did I mean, that. like that, yeah, like the, the lady with the long sleeves would like wrap around and flip them up in the air and stuff. And it's just, yeah, there's some, there's some really good stunt choreography in there. All right, so that brings us to the end of this episode and the end of the season. You'll be seeing some, maybe some special episodes pop up here uh, until spring when we come back with season three. Hopefully this time I won't be such a pain in the ass with being overloaded with podcasts and terrible internet, and uh, Kersey has been incredibly patient. We plan on 13 episodes for the season. I think we got... Mm. Uh, good job. I don't know. What what do we say about that? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I know that there's sometimes a delay when we talk, so I kind of pause and you kind of pause, but it'll all be edited out, okay, everybody? Don't panic. I think the only person panicking right now is me. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to seem so weird and awkward. I didn't say anything for like five minutes. (laughs) No, no, literally, uh, there's a a thing in Audacity where I can take out all the gaps. It's nice. It's beautiful. Um, So everybody check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment or Video Night if you like talking about movies. Uh, All kinds of movies are posted there, including all the episodes of Trash Cinema. And that is it for us. We'll see you in the spring. And thank you, Kersey, for this season. Yeah, no problem. I had a great time. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Trash Cinema The California Coast Playground of America Until something deep beneath the sand Turned it into Blood Beach The water may be the safest place to be. Rated R. I haven't seen a car in 50 miles. You know what I just thought of, right? Kenny and Darla. You believe that story? That they did go looking for her head? They only found the car. They never found her head. What's he doing? What the hell is that? He dumped something down that pipe. Wrapped in a sheet. Is this your idea of a little adventure? I'm just gonna look. Hello? You know the part in scary movies where somebody does something really stupid and everybody hates them for it? This is it. Every 23rd spring, for 23 days, it gets to eat. Eat. He must have five, maybe six hundred bodies down there. 
got something it likes, one of you. Creepers. Hey everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. It is our spring break special. If you wonder where our new episodes are, hey, well, we get busy. <laughs> one of us is in school, and one of us is just at work all the time. Um, so we just kind of do specials here and there. But in the summer, I think uh, my co-host, Kersey. How's it going, Kersey? Hey, what's going on? You're, well, we were kind of thinking about like what we're going to do this summer, and it's... So there's not, like, pressure on you, and if you can't make a, a certain date or whatever, you know, I have something else to fill in. So this summer, for Season 3 of Trash Cinema, it's going to be a revolving cast. Uh, Kersey will probably hop in, and maybe we'll do one a month for the summer, and then uh, I'll have other people hop in. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds good. I got a lot of uh, stuff to catch up on. It's my last year of school, so. Yeah, I don't want to know you. Gotta be getting like, that career ready? soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so for our spring break special, uh, we're going to be discussing uh, one that I chose, Blood Beach, and one that you chose, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Uh, which one should we do first, Blood Beach? Yeah, I I didn't think it was going to be this um, slow. <laughs> I just heard legendary <laughs> stories about this movie. It's not on DVD. It's only ever been on VHS. It's kind of like a lost movie, except it's been posted on YouTube like 80 times. Mm. Yeah, it, it can stay lost, I suppose. I, I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> uh, here's the thing: is um, this is from? I think the reason this is lost is a, it's from Compass International Pictures, which is the company that did Halloween and Hell Night, and then they went out of business immediately afterwards. And it was produced by Run Run Shaw. And now we discussed one of their movies earlier last year. Um, shit, what was that? The Kung Fu flick that we talked about that they did. Um, oh, uh, was it Taoism Drunkard? Uh, no, it's the one that's after Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, 36 Chambers, the Shaolin. Oh, okay. So I think a lot of their stuff that they produce for America um, is kind of lost. Um, let's just say uh, this is made for a very particular audience that has a lot of patience. <laughs> I would say so. It's it's one of those uh, creature features without a creature, basically. It, it takes infinite amount of patience to wait for the final reveal and i ha i have to admit the creature was kind of cool it, it was uh sort of like uh um it or not it what am i talking about i'm talking about the thing yeah about john carpenter's thing kind of had that vibe to it that like kind of slimy almost um flower-esque monster yeah it's you know uh I mean? it's not it's not as elaborate by any means uh, as the thing even though it was made like the oh, year no. prior there's no there's no real like um animatic work or not animatic animatronic work no, it just kind of sits there, and they put, like, you know, monster screams behind it, kind of standing and posing uh, <laughs> in a cave, which is fine. It, it's fine, but, you know, if you're going to have a monster movie, it kind of behooves you to have a monster in it. Yeah. Uh, well, it, the first half hour of this movie, I think, is uh, rather intriguing, you know, kind of building the idea. But then it kind of repeats it over and over and over without changing how it's done. It's like, oh, yeah, I got it. You you almost see the people going out going, dude, you know. You know. You've heard the stories about people getting sucked out of the sand. Knock it off. No, yeah, that, that was one of the things that I noticed, too, when I was watching it, is that they completely focused on the wrong details and tried to it, – it seemed like it, it was three different people who were directing the movie, but none of them told the other ones what they already did yet, so they just repeated the same thing. Yeah. So – 
like the, the way the formula works is if you see that old homeless lady pushing that cart, someone's about to die. Yeah, it don't go near time. her or actually grab her and get her off the sand. <laughs> yeah, like every time she appears in a scene, she does something like stupid or something silly. And then, you know, it, it follows somebody near her on the sand and then they get sucked in. And that's the movie, basically. I'm, uh, I'm looking at this. There was a remake of this a few years ago called Sand. Why don't you just stick with Blood Beach? Sand just sounds so lame. Blood Beach, at least while it's clearly a grindhouse drive-in kind of title, it catches your attention. Right. Like, sand? People are going to confuse that for Dune or something. They're going to be horribly (laughs) disappointed. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Kennedy oddly enough is in that. All right, well, anyway, uh, what was actually interesting, I tried to look up something about the movie so I had something salient to say about it, but... I couldn't find anything. Like, you know, I was looking through trivia facts. All I could find is, hey, John Saxon's in the movie, and this is a total ripoff of Jaws the Revenge. Did you know that? That was <laughs> well, all I could find. Well, Jaws Revenge came out six years after this, so how's that, huh? <clears throat> what? I'm sorry. No, not, not Jaws Revenge. I'm talking about uh, Jaws 2. Uh, there, it was a, there, there, like, there was so many line parodies of like the catchphrase of Jaws 2, which is just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Like, they repeat that line. Yeah, and you can't get to it. Movie, <laughs> yeah. yeah. John Saxon, by this point, was doing tons of these exploitation films, and I, I kind of enjoy him in it. Burt Young is doing his typical grumpy old man, but it's still enjoyable, but everything else about it sucks. Yeah, I mean, definitely I would say John Saxon's probably the best part of the movie just because he gives a very earnest performance, whereas everyone else is terrible. Yeah. The whole time I'm watching it, they'll go, you know, I could be watching Nightmare on Elm Street instead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, or Enter the Dragon. <laughs> uh, I don't recognize anybody else in the cast. Um, the director, no, nothing. There's a lot of names in here that clearly, like, popped up and disappeared pretty quickly. Uh, I mm. apologize for suggesting this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a product of its time. It's interesting, but... Um. I, yeah, it definitely wears on you after the first 20 minutes. What I thought was interesting, though, is at the very end is when they discuss, it goes, well, what happens after you've blown it up? Is it dead or what? And then it shows all those people back at the beach, and you slowly see through the whole credits all these little holes starting to form all over the beach. Mm-hmm. I, I think it might have been trying to set up a sequel like it had babies or something. <laughs> Blood Beach 2. It's still not safe to go onto the beach. But go ahead, go in the wa- get in the water. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> piranha are in there oh yeah yeah that was another one i was considering uh choosing i did but i that thought that'd be good as one. like a big discussion talking about the remake the sequel and then the the sequels to the uh both movies yeah cause i felt that way too because i'm actually a huge fan of the remake of piranha yeah it's great the second one isn't bad but it's it nowhere nearly has as much magic as the the remake magic that's not the word mm, i want yeah it, it it got really weird with it well, what was what, the, the second one? I can't remember. It's been a while. But is that the one where Vin Rames had like a, a motorboat leg or something? <laughs> I Dude. think he does. He loses both legs in the first movie. <laughs> I think they attach something. I heard David Hasselhoff's in it. It's nowhere nearly as good, but it's still like just bonkers and it's like gortastic uh, ideas. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's it, weird. It, this uh, cost this cost um, two million dollars, and I was gonna guess maybe four hundred thousand dollars at most. Yeah, where did the money go? I mean, obviously, one probably one of the biggest parts was um, the, the the monster because the monster was pretty big. Or I, I don't know. I guess it could have, maybe it was small comparative now, but like it, you know, like it was just a, a, a model or something that they shot. But I mean, it looked pretty cool. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I mean, that there, kind of I mean, money there's no way it costs that much. Yeah, I feel like that kind of money should give you a lot of stop motion or some animatronic stuff, you know, high-level effects. I mean, if you look at the howling, tons of special effects in it, and um, at least a kind of well-known list of, like, B-movie actors. And that thing was done for $1.2 million. Don't tell me you couldn't make Blood Beach and, and give you some killer effects for $2 million. Someone clearly stole the money. I just, I also have to point out there's no blood in the movie no. for a movie called Blood Beach. I wanted to see it shooting but, out you know, of the sand. Yeah, kind of a nightmare in Elm Street or kind of like uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah, you know, just, definitely. Just I want to see gore flying out of, out of it. Like, just, he doesn't like bones, so he shoots them back out. <laughs> and if you can't, if you don't have that much money, an easier way to call it Blood Beach and actually have blood is like if the monster can like intuitively know that there's blood in the beach, like can smell it. So if someone's bleeding there, he'll snatch him up like that. Yeah, that would like, make like a sense. shark, like a sand shark. Right, but it was, I think I think it was supposed to be a Venus flytrap. I think was the what was what they were going for. Yeah, I, I, somewhere I don't know if it's in the remake, but I remember reading something about it that it was actually an alien from another planet that stayed there. And I'm like, the beach is huge. Uh, yeah, we could just go to every beach. <laughs> so I can't I can't remember this. You're gonna have to remind me because it's one of those movies that just after it goes on for a while, you kind of forget what's happening. Yeah, you just kind of get bored, but. Um, the the underground part that the creature was living in, did it make that part, or was it already built but was just living there? Uh, you know, I, I'll lie and say uh, it already existed. They, uh, that would the only way that would make sense. It kind of it looked, you know, like it had um, shelves and you know, uh, 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 like beams that were supporting it. So there's no way that that creature was making it. Well, think about it. He had only been eating. I keep saying he like it's a, a guy, uh, but it has been. Um, eating people for what five days either he was really really focused on building that labyrinth cave or and it's like oh man i'm famished at all this work i better go eat somebody <laughs> it's kind of yeah it's like one of those things when you're trying to lose weight and it's like you know i gotta finish this project then i can have a snack so <laughs> goals people have goals just like this monster that's that's all I can really say about uh, Blood Beach. I think it's best if we just uh, shimmy on over to your selection, Jeepers Creepers, which I forgot was a Spring Break movie. Yeah, uh, that that was um, one Justin Long and some some other lady. Uh, he was uh, getting home from college. Yeah, they were going to go visit their parents uh, on Spring Break. No, I remember seeing this trailer. People were buzzing about this movie, and I got really excited about it. Um, there is 50% of this movie that is absolutely jaw-dropping amazing, and 50% of it that's kind of awkward, and the more they explain, I'm, I start not to like it as much. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that they had sort of a lore for this creature, because they wanted to make something different, but it kind of made it cliche uh, when, when you try to explain it. Yeah. The 23 years, every 23 years, he gets to eat for 23 days, and I was like, what keeps him from eating for 24 uh, what stops him from just continuously eating? I mean, does he hibernate for the rest? Is there any sort of... I thought Is there some sort of rule that says they won't mess with him if they don't mess with uh, the townsfolk after 23 days? No, as far as I know, nobody even knows about the creature except for the uh, the psychic lady. <laughs> 23 days. He's like, I'm good. I'm going to go back into hibernation. I, I have a, I'm tired from all this eating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which it doesn't even make sense either because his body regenerates naturally. So why is he? Because like the, I think the the idea of the monster was that he needs to harvest the parts that he needs to keep alive, which is a really cool idea. But they established that he can regenerate his body. Yeah. So 
what's the point of having to st- steal organs when they just naturally grow back? That didn't make any sense. Well, yeah, there's that scene where um, later when she runs him over like 50 times, they filled him with so many bullets, and it's kind of a mess. And you would think that yeah, if that. he could move, he would crawl a little bit, and then he would grab something and absorb whatever he needed from it. But no, he kind of just, like you said, is like T-1000, you know, rebuilding himself instantly and goes after him again. No, it wasn't It wasn't instant, but it, like that was probably one of the coolest parts of the movie where – He's like limping to the police station, and then his like his leg starts to grow back, and then he just starts walking naturally, which yeah. is probably one of the cool, which is kind of a simple effect, but it was so cool and creepy that um, I gotta say, like their their whole their their creature in this movie is probably one of my favorites. It's one of the most interesting and dark. Like he has like this weird, huge, well, like blade that he has. It looks like a cross or something, which yeah. is awesome. It's definitely like one of the coolest creatures that nobody really talks about anymore. Well, I think what the problem is with this franchise um, is the second one made a lot of money as well, but I think it let a lot of people down. And then Victor Salva, um, all of a sudden everybody was talking about the fact that he got busted for uh, child molestation or something like that back in 89. And I think people washed Ooh. their hands of him. So Jeepers Creepers 3 never got going, even though they keep talking about, oh yeah, Cathedral, any day now it's going to go into production. And it's just it's still after all these years, it hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'll probably kill a career. Yeah. Uh, well, some some people's careers get ruined for that. Some of them don't, but he was one of the ones that did. Yeah, I don't know. I it think at this point, by the time they get part three going, it'll be an, it'll be twenty three years since the first movie. <laughs> yeah, I know that that's so unfortunate because it's such a creative and cool monster. But you know, it's it's one of those things that probably is never going to happen. And it's unfor- and also it's not necessarily a shame that what happened to him, <laughs> but it's it's also terrible that the the second movie was kind of was a huge letdown. I, I liked kind of the concept of because um, the creature was basically picking off these people these kids that were in a a school bus and it was like trapped outside of a cornfield and he would just pick them off and they try to leave, mm-hmm. which I kind of like the I like that idea, but conceptually. It's cool, but when you watch the movie, it's like an hour of in a school bus, and that's pretty boring. Yeah, hour of uh, terribly I mean, this, this... annoying teenagers screaming at each other, and um, what I don't like is also I mean, this, uh... the uh, he gets a little more comical. Jeepers Creepers ditches a lot of the scariness, and he starts doing a little bit of the Freddy Krueger gag kind of stuff, and I didn't like that. Yeah, like um, it, it, if this was written directed by the by the person to the first movie it was i didn't actually look into this but yeah, the second one definitely didn't feel like the same movie really Jesus. yeah same that's director, a huge step down because Salva. like i feel like yeah i feel like in the first movie he just like the creature would have just peeled up the, the the roof of that school bus and just tore everyone to pieces that actually would have been more interesting um what i do like about the second one is the kid in ray wise um ray wise is one of those character actors you see a lot in horror movies uh you know they're they're beating the shit out of the creeper and i thought that storyline was pretty cool no, I don't. It's, it's been a long time. I don't remember that one, or at least that part. I just remember the, the school bus stuff. But yeah, I mean, the, again, the the first movie is uh, very interesting. I love the cinematography of probably the first half hour. Uh, it's filmed in such a way that it really builds tension, especially when they finally get to the the church and then he falls into the well, and uh, has that really long sort of pan around like um, the Evil Dead. Yeah. Where you're just kind of looking at his lair, and there's just bones and bodies everywhere. Um, yeah, it feels course, like a Justin, 70s Justin horror Long. movie. It feels a little <clears throat> bit like a Wes Craven kind of thing uh, for the first half, and then it starts diving into like almost like a retro 80s, 
like you know how they always had the mascots in the 80s uh, it felt like one of those kind of movies for a little bit yeah but i like that he didn't talk that gave him kind of a huge yeah. push in my book because as awesome as Freddy Krueger is, the later editions of the later movies start to get a little boring, or at least kind of get too cheesy. Um, says here that Jeepers Creepers three started production on May first. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, uh, wait, May first of this year? Uh, oh, wait, I'm a... sorry, I'm sorry, March first. Uh, March first of this year, yeah, it started okay. filming. They got Gina Phillips, they got Ray Wise and Adrian Barbeau. Oh, they got Ray Wise back. Yeah. Interesting. Well, like I, I'm, I'm kind of excited, but I'm also hesitant because you know I, I hope they bring it back to kind of the old school. Yeah, well, lower budget. See, that's the problem with the sequel is that they doubled the budget, and sometimes when you have so much money um, in a horror film, you're focused on the action and the gore, and you're not really focused on the atmosphere, and um, kind of it kind of takes away the fear factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another uh, detail that was really good about the first movie. Which is something that was probably an expensive and really uh, difficult undertaking was the scene with the cop escort when he jumps on top of the cop car and like cuts the guy's head off and throws it to the other car. Yeah, uh, like that was done. They they did some close-ups, but if you like when you watch the scene, the focus is on the front car and you can just see in the background of the shot and it's blurry. Like you can't really see what's going on, but you can see him killing the officers. Mm-hmm. And I thought like that's such a brilliant way to do it. Where just to show it as if it's you know, happening in such a way that you're not really focused on it. You know, there's not a ton of gore. I, I really like that detail. Yeah, it's very few movies are able to have a big budget and still be scary. It seems like the restrictions on a movie are usually what help it. Oh, we can't afford to shoot that. We can't afford this. So we have to, like, uh, insinuate. You know, we have to kind of give a idea of what's going on. Mm. And that's uh, an element that uh, yeah, a lot of, especially horror film directors, don't get. And um, there's this director, I can't, I'm going to butcher his name, but he is French-Canadian, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, did Arri- he did Arrival most recently. He's doing Blade Runner this year. I love Prisoners. He is Prisoners excellent. I've seen pretty much everything he's done. He's probably the best director out there. And he does, he does this kind of the same thing, where he presents violence in this way that you don't really get to, you don't really see it. There's not a lot of gore or blood in his movies. It's very much presented in a way, even in his high budget movies, it's presented as um, a, a part of everyday life. It's not focused on slow motion, blood and guts. It's very much just quick and brutal. It's like the difference between John like, Woo like and a... Ringo Lamb, if you know your Kung Fu flicks. Ringo Lamb uh, was a very straightforward guy, whereas John Woo would kind of like slow-mo and, and kind of fetishize the violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he very much, interestingly enough, because I, you know, I love John Woo stuff, he got he gets a lot of inspiration on in his action scenes from musicals. He kind of his action scenes are basically like his versions of producing a musical. Yeah, and a little bit of pack and ball. Like the way, <laughs> yeah, like the way that uh, people jump when they get shot or hurt is very much kind of like how you would leap in a in a performance or something. Oh yeah, yeah. So on the two, um, there is a really awkward moment in the la- uh, the last five minutes of part one. It's um, do you remember in the police station when? Um, Justin Long is grabbing his sister and for some reason the camera just sits there while they're like <laughs> like they're talking and I can't tell what they're saying and Justin Long is like pointing at her and being quiet and I don't know what the hell is going on and the camera just sits there way too long until Jeepers Creepers busts through the window yeah I, I suppose they were trying to go for uh, an antis- building anticipation but it just kind of failed yeah, I just kept going are you guys going to call a cut because this is awkward <laughs> for everybody yeah 
Uh, second one, yeah, like we're saying, it, it has some good action sequences. The the gore is cranked up. The part where his head is taken off, and then he kind of has this weird like. Do you remember when he puts on new head on, and, like these little spider arms kind of separate and grab on, and then his face molds into the creeper? Uh, yeah, I I don't I didn't get that. That was weird. I didn't yeah, I didn't understand exactly what that was. But it was an interesting idea, but a lot of it seems to be interesting ideas without fully thinking them out. And that's kind of hurts the mythology. Sometimes, it's like with Michael Myers. The more you tell about Michael Myers, the less scary he is. That's why I did not like Rob Zombie's version of it. I did like the first half of the movie when it was just about the, the person, Michael Myers. But then when it tried to make it into a classic horror movie, it just fails so horribly. Yeah. And that's kind of like with this creature, the more you try to explain, the more restricted you are in explaining what's going on, ironically enough. Yeah, I think the only villain that so you, like the more they, you know, the more interesting it is, is Freddy Krueger. Uh, like, even that, though, can get pretty cheesy. You remember the Dream Warriors? That was just the third movie. Yeah. You know, like, he was a bastard of a hundred <laughs> insane asylum inmates. Like, it, it got pretty stupid, too, when they tried to explain it, but I... I do sort of enjoy those creepy flashbacks, though. Yeah, uh, the one in uh, part six with uh, uh, Alice Cooper as a dad, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't, I don't really remember that one very well, like because I only watched really the first four. Oh, okay. Kind of like the ones that like. Yeah. Actually, no, not the fourth one. That was that was probably the worst one. You you said yeah. I know, I that's, like, oddly enough, that's the most successful one. But I think it's because of part three. You just you you said something last year about you wanting to discuss all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and I'm totally game for that. If you ever want to do that, I would love to do that. I have all of the movies. Nice, including Freddy, including Freddy versus Jason and New Nightmare. Yeah, New Nightmare is amazing. Um, we're kind of off topic here. Sorry, everybody. Um, I guess that's about it for us here. Is there anything else you want to say about either of these movies? I would highly recommend Jeepers Creepers, and I would probably stay away from Blood Beach. <laughs> Figuratively and <laughs> literally. Uh, um, all right, so everybody, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. You'll find all the episodes of Video Night Trans Transformers, <laughs> Trash Cinema, and Back in Tunes. And until next time, uh, stay trashy, everybody. <laughs>